I'm Kyle. And I'm Trevor. And welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. Uh, if you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So, it is the month of July 2021, and we are in the midst of Ladies' Night. Hello, ladies. Uh, essentially, what we're going to be doing this month is uh, taking a look at a series of action films headlined by women. Uh, over the weeks past, uh, we took a look at uh, Pam Greer in Foxy Brown, as well as uh, Yes, Madam, uh, headlined by Michelle Yeoh and Cynthia Rothrock. Uh, but this week, uh, I don't know if this was intended from the beginning of the month, but it just so happens that we're kind of going decade by decade, uh, beginning in the 70s, moving into the 80s, and... Uh, this week, we're heading into the 90s uh, with a review of The Long Kiss Goodnight, headlined by Gina Davis and directed by her, at the time, husband, uh, Rennie Harland. Uh, Kyle, <laughs> you you had not seen this film before, so this was a catching up for you. Uh, I had seen this film uh, because I think my parents had rented it for me and my brother back in the day. This did come out in 1996 um, and is very much a 90s film, but... Uh, opening thoughts, Kyle. What do you have to say about this one? Well, it definitely seems like a movie the brothers would have rented uh, back in the day. <laughs> uh, probably me more so than my older bro, but but yeah, uh, my my poor mom was stuck in a house full of three <laughs> three dudes. <laughs> so my poor uh, costume mom, yeah. costume dramas were not exactly the norm. Those were generally like a, I don't know maybe early in the day like on a weekday kind of viewing for her alone <laughs> um but when it came to like weekend rentals and stuff it was mostly action schlock and or tremors because yeah i i i i played that card a lot when i was a kid so your tremors was our mortal combat gotcha uh yeah i don't yeah. know why they didn't or- just buy it <laughs> <laughs> or did you have that relationship with Twister as well, or was that a TV movie? So my great-grandmother uh, had Twister, so every time we went over to visit her, it was just the first thing, Twister. Uh, or I just tried <laughs> to catch it on TBS, but I didn't own Twister until a few years ago. I'm, I'm picturing your brother getting getting word that you're headed to, to Gam Gam's house, mm-hmm. and he kicks open your door, and he's like, It's coming! It's coming this way! It's headed right for us! <laughs> yeah. Oh, but the funny thing is, is it scared the shit out of him when we were kids. So I still, Ooh. I still had him watch it. Uh, but yes, this movie, The Long Kiss Goodnight. Uh, I knew what I was getting myself into, like because I know the director and I've seen uh, at least two of these movies. I've seen Cliffhanger. I've seen a few of this guy's movies. But yeah, this is uh, this is a lot of fun. It's not a good movie. Um, it's got some fun bits, but I, I like the '90sness of it. Um, but yeah, I had fun watching it. Yeah, I'm glad to hear you say all those things because honestly, like I think this was conducted off air, but that's basically how I pitched it to you: is that it has a lot of good components to it. It's a fun time, and more importantly, you were kind of around for the time period in which this particular style of action film was in vogue. Mm-hmm. So I thought it would have a little bit of nostalgia value for you, um, which is oftentimes not the case with a lot of the mo- movies that we end up talking about. So this one, I felt like the two of us could both share a little bit of that. So it sounds like I was right on that end. But 
Um, first thing out the gate, I suppose we should talk about, and you did point out, uh, you have seen some of this director's films. Uh, so we should probably start with him and uh, his leading lady at the time, his wife, Gina Davis. So Rennie Harlan is our director. He's a prolific uh, action blockbuster director from Finland. Uh, he kind of made his splash in Hollywood via New Line Cinema uh, in the form of A Nightmare on Elm Street 4. Uh, the Dream Master, if I recall the subtitle on that one. Um, and there's a quote that I throw out there from time to time on catching up on cinema that comes directly from the man himself. Uh, it came from an interview with him uh, when he was asked about how he got the gig for the Dream Master. And he just his simple answer was, I know what teenage boys like, <laughs> with his very unusual Finnish accent. But uh, actually, the story for him getting that job is really funny because... Uh, he had directed some films, like some smaller, like uh, kind of uh, supernatural horror films in his in his native country, um, and then he migrated to Hollywood. And I guess he was just this stinky Viking man. They would hang out in the hallways of New Line Cinema and beg Bob Shea for a gig. Oh, jeez. Um, and, and eventually, they they just got desperate one day, and they're like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm gonna I'm gonna gamble on the big Viking guy in the hall. <laughs> <laughs> and it worked out because apparently that movie did gangbusters at the at the you know cinema, um, which led to him having a very solid working relationship with New Line, which got him this gig. Uh, which I guess you could almost classify as a bit of a passion project, but um, his road to this movie was marked mostly with big hits. Like Die Hard 2, critically is often thought of as on the lower tier of Die Hard movies. Now, uh, at uh, yeah, the time, I, yes. Now, not so much. <laughs> yeah, now that we have four and five to, to go along with, with the ranking list, if two looks better and better as yeah. time goes on. Um, but yeah, it's certainly a step down from the first one, and even when compared to three, which is a totally different kind of film altogether, I do think that three's far superior. Um, but it's serviceable, and it's fun, and mm -hmm. it moves, and, and that's oftentimes what you get with him, is I... you get really big, explosive action, perfectly suited for 90s action cinema. I think I quote the first two Die Hard movies equally. Like, there's... I think they are both very quotable. I think the second one even more so for me. I, I do use... I think I use more quotes from the first Die Hard, but I focus on two Die Hard quotes in particular. Uh, one I won't I say mean, here. <laughs> I mean, I don't even have a, a, a brother Vito, but I still say that every once in a while when I'm introducing people. It's like, just, just my brother Vito. <laughs> oh, every time it's summer, summertime in Seattle, I'm like, fucking Taurus, ought to be a law. <laughs> And who could forget a sitting duck? A sitting duck. That's another one. That's three. Yeah, I got another one. I'm not going to say though. Yeah, th yeah. There's there's a lot of those. But but cliffhanger. Um, Kyle, what are your thoughts on cliffhanger? Because that's actually been like a a potential episode in my mind for a long time. It is, and I'm uh, really disappointed we haven't done it yet because I haven't seen it since I was a kid, and that life shattering opening scene I remember. It's just like burned into my brain. Uh, because, of course, it was parodied, like, shortly after in Ace Ventura 2. Um, but I don't remember that movie except for uh, uh, Sylvester Stallone wearing an awesome denim wool jacket, the denim outside, wool on the inside. And then I remember John Lithgow possibly being the most, like, uh, uh, the campiest or just, like, the, the most, like, Shakespearean uh, Lithgow he's ever been. 
I mean, for fuck's sake, he's just, he's borderline doing a mid-Atlantic accent <laughs> in a 90s action film set in, like, middle America. <laughs> like, yeah. it doesn't add up at all. Um, but, yes, he is going very big, very broad. He's doing a lot of acting. Yes. <laughs> but it works really, really well. And one thing that I will point out uh, that translates to a lot of Randy Harlan's films, including and maybe even especially this one, The Long Kiss Goodnight, uh, is that a lot of his action tends to focus on spectacle um, more so than like I don't know elaborately choreographed fist fights and things of that nature. It's like there's there's a lot of gimmickry that goes on. Uh, he if he was a wrestler he would be a hardcore specialist. He wouldn't be a technical wrestler. He'd be that guy that hits you with a trash can or a kendo stick gotcha. and then calls it yeah it, there's not a whole lot of like mat wrestling that goes on in a Redding harlan movie it's basically just like foreign objects <laughs> low blows things of that nature um and cliffhanger has that in spades where it's like every kill in that movie of which there aren't that many is delivered in a strangely unique and almost comical way like do you remember how leon bites it in that movie no i was gonna say i don't remember it's fucking movie. hilarious and nonsensical. Don't so, spoil it. Oh, what? I haven't seen well, it. I, I haven't seen it since I was a kid. Okay, fine. You're going to well, ruin the now surprise. We, now we have to commit to doing an episode because the, now our listeners are missing out on my, you know, butchering of, of relaying the scene to their ears as opposed to just going out and having them watch the fuck <laughs> Trying movie. Trying to spoil it. Okay, well, you, we got to commit to it then. We got to do Cliffhanger someday soon. Oh, yeah. So um, we're hanging out. With my girlfriend's cohort of scientists, and one of them works in Antarctica, and I perked up immediately. I'm like, "Oh, you work in Antarctica? Did you watch the thing?" And she's like, "Yes, I watched it like three times on the way down there, and then like three more times when we got there." And someone at the table was like, "What's the thing?" I'm like, "I'm sorry, what?" It's like, "Yeah," and I had to explain to him, "Well, there's the thing from outer space, and they did one in the '80s, the thing," and then Steph just goes, "Yeah, they all die." I'm like, "What? The, what are you doing?" <laughs> you do that it's it's such a good movie why would you oh i'm so disappointed it's kind of fitting that we only did a a review of punisher warzone like a few weeks ago because when when frank castle blows that goomba's head off god damn it castle that's you and your lady god damn it Yeah, so that, that is that's a big fuck up. That's a that's fuck almost up, as bad as saying like, oh, I haven't seen The Departed. Yeah, Leonardo gets shot. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Are you kidding me? Right <laughs> <now>? <laughs> it's on par with that. Yeah, no, it, it's on that level because those are both movies that deserve to be seen by by anyone with a passing interest in either of them. Even if you uh, don't so watch it, <laughs> yeah, just fucking do it. Commit. Commit. Just do it. <laughs> mm. um, but yeah, the the. Last thing I'll mention about Rennie Harlan and his path uh, to the Long Kiss Goodnight is that I actually was not aware uh, of the order of the releases here, but I was shocked uh, to discover that Cutthroat Island actually came out before the Long Kiss Goodnight, uh, an entire calendar year before. Um, I was always under the impression that the order of, of release was reversed, um, and I I know the the troubled production history of that movie quite well, Cutthroat Island, uh, because back in the day, uh, in the household, uh, we had a uh, bathroom reader uh, that had an entire article (laughs) dedicated uh, to the making of both Cutthroat Island and Waterworld. Uh, So I learned quite a few 
important nuggets of information about the the horrible path to the silver screen that those movies took um and yeah as far as i understand uh their marriage uh gina davis and rennie harlan uh was heavily affected like in a in a negative sense by the production of cutthroat island so knowing that i wouldn't be surprised if there were some issues on the set for this one uh because after that ordeal heading into this one uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there is some animosity between the two, um, if not the entire production crew. Yeah, she had a good, uh, she had a pretty good 80s and early 90s, and then uh, she started dating him, and then he almost single-handedly ruined her career uh, in two movies, basically, because she didn't do anything until Stuart Little in 1999. I remember her being the mom in that movie. Yeah, I've always liked her as an actress. Mm-hmm. Um Funny enough, her her couple of forays, both directed by her husband, into the action world are, oddly enough, given that it's ladies' night and we're talking about action movies, I think some of the lesser elements of her filmography. She's generally a warm presence. Like, she was well cast in Stuart Little. Mm -hmm. She was very well cast in Beetlejuice. Um, A League of Their Own, she was fantastic Mm -hmm. in that. Um, I think she even has like a small role in like Tootsie or something. She but. does, and she has a small role in Fletch as well. She her name is Larry. <laughs> Larry. Yeah, and she's and she was fantastic in uh, The Fly. Um, but yeah, when when I think action, I don't think Gina Davis. But here we are talking about her in an action heavy role, which is very unusual. But um, what's kind of strange about this movie is is the time period in which it was released because I haven't seen a lot of these movies, Kyle. But because of my relationship with television in the 90s, uh, meaning I watched a lot of it and things like that. Uh, I caught a lot of trailers and a lot of commercials for movies that I I have locked away in my memories as things that maybe I should check out someday. But I want to say the 90s was actually like a really booming time period for female-led action films. Um, and my suspicion is that it was uh, kind of spearheaded by, by European films largely. Um, because if I say if I say the title La Femme Nikita, Kyle, does that mean anything to you? Yeah, I know I know that name of that movie. I have heard of it. So it it's a Luc Besson movie, Ooh, which yes. I actually have on the list. It was a it was a potential episode. Um, I thought about doing that one instead of this movie, but mm. I went with the safe bet because I've already seen Long Kiss Goodnight and I thought you might like it. But I haven't seen it. But it came out in 1990 on the nose. Um, and it was very wildly successful, and I want to say very influential on top of that. And it involves a very similar plot of like a, a woman thrown into a, a espionage setting, and there's action and, and gunplay involved and all that. And it was successful to the point that I think there was like a an American television series adapted from it in the 90s. I remember seeing advertised relentlessly. Um, and then you also have things like... Uh, I, I remember the poster for this movie, but I haven't seen it. Uh, starring my gal, uh, Bridget Fonda. Uh, it's uh, called Point of No Return. Again, from the early 90s. It's got a gal with short hair shooting people. <laughs> it seemed to be a very prevalent image in the first half of the 90s in uh, in cinema, like worldwide. Um, so I want to say the timing for this film, The Long Kiss Goodnight, was kind of appropriate. Um, so I guess this is our... our uh, are representative of this particular subgenre from this particular era of film. Well, the fifth element's about to come out the next year. Exactly. Short-haired gal, gunplay involved, mm-hmm. European. <laughs> European as fuck, in fact. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a relentlessly French film. Yes. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, uh, this this film, of course, came out in 1996. And uh, one thing that I'll say before we get into the uh, into the discussion proper, I guess, is that uh, there's a particular vibe, like a particular feel to the staging of action in this era of cinema, in American cinema in particular, that I used the phrase before. It focuses seemingly more on spectacle, like spectacle above all. Uh, a lot of unique, gimmicky, choreographed moments that... It's not so much focused on like the visceral like tooth and nail quality of things like you get in like a a born movie or something or a Daniel Craig James Bond movie. It's more just like what can we blow up and how big can we blow it up? <laughs> it's a lot of that. Gasoline explosions were all the rage in the 90s. <laughs> um but yeah, Kyle, uh being as uh I guess I guess we're back to normal. Yeah. Uh, would you like to give us our plot summary for the long kiss goodnight? Yes, a small town uh, school teacher uh, starts to get her memory back after she is thrown through the windshield of a car and decides to leave with a guy she just met to figure out who she is. Uh, Come to find out she was a special agent and uh, Mary mishaps ensue. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's not one of your strongest offerings, Kyle, but I'll allow it. In the, okay. in the words of the immortal Mills Lane, I'll allow it. I'll allow it. Uh, so, one thing that we need to disclose, and it's best to do it right now, uh, being as uh, the film opens with a traditional opening credit sequence, it's actually done really well. It's cut together very sharply. This uh, is the of, longest opening theme. Like, this opening sequence credits is fucking forever. Uh, oh, yeah, you're not wrong. I'm, I'm looking at the time code right here. We're bordering on three minutes. It's uh, that's a, a while, yeah. It, that's a lot, especially because there's the music is extraordinarily low key, um, and a lot of the images are very vague. It's kind of it's not especially obvious what you're supposed to be getting out of it. Well, so yeah, I guess I'd have to agree. It, it could have been cut a little snappier. If you watch the trailer, you kind of like all the stuff. It's not really hinting at anything. It's like I I know just get to it. Like I know what the advertising is. She's got a secret past. She's probably an agent of some kind. So all this all this imagery is like, yeah, I get it. Just, just go. Come on. Yeah, actually, I'm glad you brought up the advertising because I mentioned that my, my relationship with television in the 90s. Um, this was a film that prior to me seeing it via VHS rental back in the day, um, I remember seeing a lot of television commercials for. And there's a lot of lines that when I... When I watch the movie now, that's how I remember it, more so than the movie, like in the context of the film itself. I just remember those trailer lines and those trailer moments and whatnot. Like, I'm in the goddamn PTA, I'm pretty sure it was in the trailer. Uh, we, Hey, we should get a pu- should we get a puppy? That was certainly in the trailer. Stuff like that. Um, and I also remember seeing like a behind-the-scenes featurette on like a Entertainment Tonight or something uh, that showed like behind the scenes footage of the stunt work during the finale of the movie. And it, it got me, I honestly, it got me kind of hyped uh, stuff like that back in the day. Wasn't available to me all the time. Like I did, I didn't have control of the television during primetime very often, because as I've said on episodes previous, baseball is a 162 game a year season. <laughs> um, so uh, evening television was not something I had had access to uh, whenever dad was around. Um, but yeah, see, seeing how some of the stunt work was conducted got me pretty hyped for this one. But yeah, our, our opening credits basically just show um, a name over and over and over again. I think it's Charlene Elizabeth. Uh, I forget the last name, but we'll, we'll get to it when we get to it. 
Um, but what I thought was really cute, and this is why I wanted to disclose before we head into the movie proper, is that as we're doing our, our opening credits, uh, a name pops up on the screen that carries quite a bit of weight, carries quite a bit of meaning, if you're at all familiar with you know 80s and 90s cinema and, and beyond, to be honest. Uh, Shane Black. Uh, pops up in the credits as our writer and i think he may even have a producing credit as well but the timing of his name's appearance in the opening credits synchronizes with like like a edit where they show a christmas ornament on screen and it's just like oh they knew what they were doing even in 1996 everybody knew what this guy's oeuvre was all about like everybody knew that christmas and shane black go together like peanut butter and chocolate yes Oh, yeah. And Kyle, you had told me before we started recording that uh, after having finished the film, you're like, oh, yeah, th- this is a Shane Black film. Well, it was as I was watching it, I was looking at who was like, who, I'm like, who wrote this? And then I just saw <laughs> Shane Black and I'm like, it like it just all came crashing down. I'm like, oh, it makes so much sense now because the Shane Blackisms throughout the film are just screaming at you. Oh yeah, they're they're so numerous that I would call them innumerable. But Kyle actually kept a list. Oh yeah, I don't know if you ha- you kept it like running as you were watching the yes, film. Yes, I did. Um, <laughs> well, did you want to just disclose all of it up front, or did you want to well, do it as we go? I want to. We'll do it as we go because it, it's more okay. fun that way. Oh yeah. Well, um, after our opening credits, we cut to a uh, sleepy, snowy town, and of course, Christmas time. Uh, I think this is the. Sorry, where is this taking place? <laughs> uh, I believe this is Jersey or New York. Okay, because in my mind, I was in uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's uh, Minnesota in Jingle All the Way. This movie came out the same year as Jingle All the Way. So somewhere, Ted is getting handsy <laughs> with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's wife. Packed at- out of there! <laughs> <laughs> at a parade happening at like the same time. <laughs> Uh, Phil Hartman, we miss you so much. Yes. I, I I could watch that clip of him talking about cookies all day long. Just, oh, these cookies. Him as the security guard and so I married an axe murderer is just mwah. God. Say what you will about Mike Myers. The man knows how to make a funny movie before the love guru. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> thank, thank you for that disclaimer. <laughs> very important. Very important. Um, but yeah, I believe this entire film basically takes place on the East Coast. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm not positive if, if this is Jersey or New York. Point is, we're on the East Coast. Yeah. Because um, yeah, it, uh, yeah. it gets kind of, it kind of, it kind of gets hazy uh, at a few points in the movie. It's like, where, where are we supposed to be at exactly? Because I, I was expecting on like an on-screen title of where we're at, just like. We're in fucking upstate New York, or we're in New Jersey, or just something. But yeah, we don't really get it. We actually don't get it at all. Yeah, we travel between like three different states over the course of the film, seemingly back and forth and back and forth. Uh, the geography is a little loopy here, but mm-hmm. tr- try to bear with us. But yeah, we open on a, a snowy town. It's during a uh, like a Christmas parade, and we Hubilation, got a drunk ass yeah. Santa Claus. Uh, there's there is jubilation, hubilation, if you will, uh, going on. And uh, Gina Davis is our Mrs. Claus being pulled uh, in a sled, and they're in the middle of a parade. And uh, the director kind of has to <laughs> has to jerk himself off a little bit by having some teenagers in the mm-hmm. crowd point out how hot his wife is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're almost doing like V licks. Like they're all, it's pretty aggressive. 
but but when you think about like the the relationship between the the person doing the lensing and the editing and and the person who's being talked about it's like yeah my wife's pretty hot my wife <laughs> it's like Re- rennie we're trying to cut like minutes out of the movie like the producers are telling us we need to cut down the runtime it's like my oh. wife's hot line stays in. <laughs> he, pa- he pounded off three times in this movie at, at the in the like at the premiere. It's like three times at least. He was just like, oh yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she pr- she probably made him like go sit in the balcony or something. Yeah. Like I'm not sitting with you, God. <laughs> you fucking perv. I want a divorce. Uh, yeah. So during this parade, we get some narration, and unfortunately, there was a barking going on while the uh, narration was going on. So I didn't catch all of what she said. Uh, well, she, I want to say this may have been like a producer's mandate or something, because this movie does not have a whole lot of voiceover. It's no. basically just in our opening minutes, and it, it feels very shoehorned in. It's it, Even her line delivery is kind of akin to like a Harrison Ford and Blade Runner. It's just like, she's not, I like Gina Davis, but she's not all there. Like She's not all the way in on this part of it, but... She uh, is she's explaining to us, the audience, that like, hey, I look super happy. But uh, by the way, my name is Samantha Kane and I was born eight years ago on a beach not far from here. Uh, so basically, she's explaining to us, the audience, that while everything on the surface looks, you know, hunk- hunky dory and whatnot, uh, she has amnesia um, and she has a prop which uh, there's a lot of props in this movie that are used uh, as like planting and payoff type devices in the script. Um, and this is the first of those. Uh, she has a prop in the form of a bracelet. Uh, it's not really the bracelet that's significant, but there's a key uh, to some sort of locker, like a storage locker of some sort, that's like one of the few objects she had on her person when she was found on that beach eight years ago. Uh, it doesn't have any serial numbers on it. It's been filed off, but uh, obviously we're trying to tell the audience that, hey, the key will be significant later. Maybe. Not really. <laughs> but um but we get to see her make some uh rice krispies treats which mm-hmm. god damn it i want some of those right fucking now because yeah. i haven't had one in like a decade plus and i can like taste it on my lips oh, like, really? as i'm talking my nana it's my been nana. a long fucking time kyle <laughs> my nana makes them every christmas i'll try to bring some home for you oh, oh i'll have yeah, i'll have them be... shipped to you so they keep oh, pretty well that... please please do yeah like that, i got that you sounds... that sounds wonderful but uh, during the course of this opening narration, Kyle, I want to ask you yeah. um, th- some of the shots from the staircase in in her home. It reminded me of the house from uh, Black Christmas. I knew you were going to say, yeah, it reminded me of the Black Christmas stairs the, a little bit it's too. The, it's the staircase, mm-hmm. the the banister. Like yeah. I was like, holy shit, that looks just like the Black Christmas house. I had a thought that might be a a, a tip of the hat to uh, a Black Christmas. Who knows? I don't know. Like like. A lot of the things that happen in this house in this movie, like spoiler alert, uh, the house gets fucking totaled uh, later my on. My personal uh, favorite scene, like my personal favorite sequence of the whole film. Yeah, uh, actually, it's one of the better action beats in the whole thing. Uh, it it has a level of intensity to it and a, and a level of care put into it that some of the other ones don't have. But uh, what I was saying about that is that the property damage that happens in this house suggests to me that maybe parts of it were just a set. I think they uh, were. <laughs> yeah, you, I would hope so because this looks like a nice ass house. But I mean, but, Bam, Bam Margera didn't fuck up his own parents' house this bad. Yeah, I think this is a set. <laughs> uh, but yeah, she lives in a giant fucking house. I don't know how that's being paid for, but yeah. she lives in a big fucking house. Uh, she's got a dude. 
who she's been seeing for a while. She's apparently a teacher, although we don't see her do a whole lot of that. Just like exactly one or two shots of her doing Grading teacher papers, stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, and she also has a daughter, like who I guess she was pregnant with at the time she woke up on that beach so she doesn't know who who fathered the child yeah um so mystery baby mystery lady but apparently she's enough on her feet that she's paying bills and she's got a dude who's all about her um hair guy yeah way to go kyle like (laughs) like way to focus on his one attribute like the one fucking thing he's got going for him it actually he looks a lot like another actor but i couldn't put my finger on it He's just a that guy. Like, yeah. he's just kind of a fart of a person. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, his hair has a way about it that's, like, like during the casting process, I'm guessing they're, like, flipping through and Rennie Harlan was like, no, wait, that that guy has cool hair. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, he doesn't have any credits. I don't think he's I don't think he's a good choice, Rennie. He's like, but the hair is nice. Listen, he's <laughs> not going to be character. He will not be character in this movie. It's fine. You know, listen, I know what teenage boys like, and they, they like big, stupid hair. <laughs> it's they, the 90s. <laughs> they hate their stepfather. He is stepfather, okay? <laughs> yeah, no, he is totally stepfather. Although, I was really bummed to see that he ends up just being a, a good dude the yeah. whole thing. He's such a great, like, he's such he's a... He's a really good dude. Yeah, he, <laughs> like, his his chemistry with the daughter at the beginning and at the end, I'm like, yeah, they. it feels like a real family unit. Yeah, I... Yeah. This this guy definitely auditioned for Bob Saget's role on on Full House. You can yeah. tell, like like they he probably or or one of the people in Full House. Like it, he, you can tell, he has that kind of goofy energy to him. He didn't get those roles. Like I'm sorry, Obviously. cool hair or not, no. But one thing, Kyle, that I guess I, I don't know if this is the right time to bring it up, but I I noticed something um, that this is me talking out my ass because I don't think there's any research that can be done on this, but. The casting for this film, one thing I noticed about tall, about Hairman is that he's very tall. Um, yes, one of Gina yeah, Davis's yeah. most notable attributes, like from an aesthetic standpoint, is that in Hollywood, by Hollywood standards, she's a very tall woman. Yes. Um, and by traditional Hollywood standards, uh, you remember this is the same marketplace that would dig ditches for women uh, when they would walk, or yeah for women uh, when they'd walk alongside men who were shorter than them mm-hmm. to, to balance the, the eye lines out in uh, dialogue scenes and whatnot. Mm-hmm. This is the same marketplace that yields that kind of thinking. Um, I noticed that almost all of our main male characters, antagonist or otherwise, are exceptionally tall men by Hollywood standards because actors are generally not big people. Well, I've um, seen her- And I want to say that was maybe a conscious decision. Well, she's acted opposite uh, Chevy Chase, uh, Jeff Goldblum, Jeff Goldblum, <laughs> the tall, yeah, the tallest dude in Tom Hollywood. Hanks. Tom is Tom Hanks ha- tall. He's got a long, thin head. It helps, no, and not, he's got tall hair. He had in the nineties. He had very tall hair, Kyle. He, ha- he <laughs> had a long, thin head. Uh, but yes, I know you're. <laughs> yeah, he, he's he's gotten a little doughy. He's filled yeah, out. <laughs> he's, yeah, he, he's filled he's out more of a, a he's more of a cube than a rectangle yeah. these days. <laughs> no, he's the thumb. It's the thumb now. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I is Sam Jackson pretty tall? I know Brian Cox. He's about the size of a leprechaun. I think. No, it's Brian Cox is very. <laughs> he is the size of a leprechaun. <laughs> Same temperament as well, but Sam Jackson is very tall. Really, he's like six four, no six three. Shit. I thought I, I always, big guy. I thought Sam Jackson was like five ten. 
No, he's a, he's a big guy. Yeah. I don't know why. Well, I don't know why we use that phrase on like eighty percent of our episodes, Kyle. But yeah, he's a big guy. He's a big guy. Um, and because we're Craig short. Bierko, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're both stars, so we notice these things. Yeah, we notice these things. <laughs> <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's like that episode of Seinfeld um, when uh, what's his face? Uh, Kevin Dunn, I think, was talking about uh, hair plugs or like. I, no, it was either George or Kevin Dunn was talking about hair plugs or hair growth tonic. They were talking about, I really value a, a full head of hair as he's, like, scratching the center of his bald yeah. spot. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and Craig Bierko as well. Um, I mentioned to you before we started recording, I don't know what the fuck he was up to in 1996. I hadn't seen him in shit. This might have been his film uh, debut. I don't even know. Yeah, uh, he was a very unusual choice, especially for an action role, because he has, like, like a... I don't know, a smug kind of like a proto Ryan Gosling kind of vibe to him. They could have completely switched out David Bierko and David Morse, like just switch those two characters, those two actors out and play the opposite characters. Yeah, actually, you could have done that, honestly. But um, but yeah, Craig Bierko is also a big guy. Hmm. Um, I've seen him opposite Russell Crowe in Cinderella Man, and there is a height discrepancy between the two of them. Yeah, I was just saying, I think most of this casting was because, yeah, Gina Davis is like six foot. Yeah, no, she's like six foot on the nose. And again, 1996, those standards were even more rigid. Uh, not so much these days, uh, but back in 1996, I want to say that was definitely a consideration when it came to casting. Where it's like, oh, we can't have a we can't have a really short dude punching a really tall lady. That'll look really weird. It's like, but you know, that happens in real life a lot. <laughs> like, like you know, people come in different sizes and stuff. It's like, no, but it won't look right. It's a movie. It's, it's, <laughs> people will be upset. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, her dude is confirmed to be a good dude throughout the entire film. So there's no twists or turns when it comes to him. Um, in fact, man, he steps right the fuck up because they're not married or anything. Like, they're just, like, boyfriend, girlfriend, and he, like, takes care of her daughter for, like, 80% of this fucking movie. Yeah. He seems to be doing a really good job. He's, like, a stay-at-home uh, boyfriend. Like, he's not even the husband. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck he does. I think he's just a himbo. He, he is a male bimbo. <laughs> I think he does, I'm going to guess, small town New Jersey, real estate. Yeah, it's a good guess. There, like, I didn't notice any like house porn going on, but that these these houses are priced to move. Yeah, and he 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 has he does have the gift of gab, as we see at the Christmas party. Uh, the following scene. Yeah, I say the Christmas party. Uh, I don't know what it is. Shane Black had like uh like a note when he was writing this screenplay. It was just like bad jokes, because that's what this movie's gonna have is just awful jokes. And uh, the hair actually has a really bad joke here. He does like a toast or whatever, like. I don't smoke, drink, or curse, or blah, blah, blah. They fucking, they eat it up. It's a dumb joke. But important here is uh, this kid, is, this little fat kid's trying to steal cigarettes out of this guy's pocket. And Gina Davis comes up to him and is like, I'll cut your fucking dick off if you try to take a cigarette or something. Like, she says something mean to him, um, which is pretty fucked up for a teacher to say. But I guess we're kind of hinting that she might not be the sweetest little teacher uh, that we have around here. Yeah, they do that from time to time, but this was a funny little beat because she's like doing the rounds, carrying around a tray of Christmas cookies, Sugar. and she notices. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was not. It was the '90s, man. They didn't know what they know today. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, like she says, like if I ever catch you smoking again, they'll never find the body. Um, but I like that she immediately follows up with just like stone faced, have a cookie. 
<laughs> As in, I'm not asking. Like, yeah. just, just take a fucking take cookie. A fucking cookie. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, and then we cut to uh, Sam Jackson with his awful bad joke. Uh, he busts in on some dude about to have sex with a prostitute, I'm assuming. Uh, film's telling me that this is likely a prostitute. But, uh, yeah, Sam Jackson's carrying himself as, like, he is a cop, and he has two cops with him, quote-unquote. Now, folks, this might be helpful to you in the future. If some dudes come up to you and say that they're cops, and they have a beard and or long hair, they're not cops. Cops have a tapered haircut because they have to have, they have regulations, so they're not cops. These, this is the... This is, it's funny, too, because she even points at it later. She's like, you got to get better guys for this, because those guys are not convincing. <laughs> no, it was pretty fun. But uh, one thing about Shane Black's scripts is they're often uh, structurally very tight, which I always appreciate. Uh, that's where we get things like the, the keychain prop and some other props that we'll talk about later. Like He's very keen on keeping his, his chessboard very tidy. Mm-hmm. Um, Although, the, the Predator is not a shining fucking example of that. <laughs> I, I would just say, uh, uh, Shane Blackism's bad jokes. Predator, bad jokes this movie. He does... It works, oh, absolutely. It works better in Predator, though. Yeah, one thing that I... It's it's a quirk of his scripts. is like His dialogue is oftentimes not especially naturalistic. Like, like it doesn't sound like things that you'd hear in everyday life but it takes a very particular set of lips and and lungs to to express on film without sounding completely shit robert downey jr I don't Val think Kilmer. Sam- <laughs> yes thank you um the two of them and kiss kiss bang bang they fucking nail it <laughs> uh, was it mm. the nice guys russell crowe and ryan gosling they yeah. fucking get oh, it gosh that movie sam jackson not quite uh gina davis not quite brian cox Quite hundred <laughs> percent. He quite quite. quite. <laughs> but we'll get to that when we get to it. The point is, a lot of these bad jokes. I want to say if they were delivered correctly, maybe would have landed a bit better. But then again, I don't think this is his A game. Although apparently this script sold for a pretty penny. Well, I mean, um, he's got but, two lethal weapon movies under his belt at this point. Oh yeah, no. He and he and Rennie Harlan, like Rennie Harlan's reputation was most certainly damaged. He and his wife both went yeah. to Rhode Island, but you know their their stock hadn't totally bottomed out. Shane Black, on the other hand, was a hot fucking commodity and would continue to be so until basically the Predator, as far as I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, the the uh, the fella that he's holding up here. Uh, with his bad joke and his uh, ho- hobo goon squad, <laughs> um, is uh, Rex Lynn. Uh, that's the name of the actor. He he was in Cliffhanger, by the way. Oh. Uh, so, that's, so that's a director-actor connection. Uh, he, he's a very solid character actor. He, funny enough, he usually plays cops. Um, he kind of has that way about him. But, uh, yeah, basically this is a, a phony holdup where uh, basically Sam Jackson's catching him in bed with a prostitute, and he's got two homeless guys with him in tow to serve as props acting as like oh this is official police business um say what you will about the dialogue delivered in this scene i do like that uh it ends with a man puking in the corner of the room um (laughs) it's pretty great (laughs) rex lynn is the guy that calls chris tucker bitch at the end of rush hour he's the the fbi agent okay yeah bitch (laughs) some of the funniest bitches Well, it comes out of an un- unexpected face. Yeah. It's like you wouldn't expect him to throw that one around. <laughs> big tall bald guy with a mustache calling Chris Tucker bitch. 
bitch. <laughs> but uh, but as yeah, if he ahead. was a, but as if he was a woman who just like slapped him or something. <laughs> oh, why that's so funny. Um, yeah. Sorry, I I derailed you there. Oh no, that's no problem. Uh, immediately following that, basically Sam Jackson says like, "Hey, uh, so I could." you know, arrest you and you don't look like you're doing so hot financially and stuff. So we can work out a deal. So what we learned from this is that Sam Jackson isn't actually a cop. Uh, that man did spew in the corner. He didn't, he did not have a little paper cup to spew into. No. Uh, he didn't have a friend like Garth around in every episode. Um, yeah, every episode. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So, so I'm going to move past this. Cause yeah, we get back to them at the hideout. Basically, uh, Sam Jackson's pulling a beer out of a cooler and he's like, that was a great hustle. Like, she, you need to get better people. By the way, I'm keeping track of this chick with amnesia. How how are they on her trail? Okay, so um, part of that opening narration was just one line where Gina Davis tells us, the viewer, uh, that at one point during her eight years of being an amnesiac, she did actually reach out to private investigators to potentially like find out who she was. Um, but she kind of gave up on it. But I guess she had contracted his services at some point. Um, and Sam Jackson's uh, assistant just continued to work on the case. Um, and actually had a hit recently in the form of a former resident uh, who reported somebody with, with her credentials having lived there, like at a, an apartment or something. Um, and so Sam Jackson's looking for more work. So he's like, yeah, sure. Let's let's hit up that lady who gave us a chunk of change before for more money saying like, yeah, we got some new evidence. So he, basically he's using it as leverage to leech more money off of her because he, he, he makes it known that he doesn't really intend to get anywhere with the case. But because he has something to present to her now, he's hoping he can get her to make another payment or something. Uh, uh, so I guess they were acquainted previously. So this is... This is the the two plot lines converging uh, in in the present, I guess. Okay. Can we get to uh, to Samantha giving the drunk man a ride home? Is that take it away, Kyle? Yes, because uh, <laughs> this is this is an awesome sequence. I think a million dollars was spent just on this sequence: uh, the deer, the deer, and the uh, the car. So one of the guys that we saw at the party was just like, hey, "Amen to that," and he's just like downing a scotch and rocks. Just down it's the, the Santa from the parade, it's by the, the way. <laughs> this yeah. guy is a full blown alcoholic. Uh, so yeah, he's just like, she's like, "Thanks for giving me a ride home, but I'm not that drunk." By the way, are you in uh, the hair guy fucking? Uh, he does a, a finger gesture. She's like, "What sticking our uh, sticking our fingers into our uh, what, what is it?" She's like, "Sticking our fingers into our a hole in our hand." Yes, we're doing it all the time. Uh, which is good. She like just gives it right back to him, and he starts getting kind of handsy, being funny, and it distracts her just long enough that she hits this deer, and this is fucking hilarious. Like I was laughing when this sequence was happening because it's pretty comical. The deer is stuck like that of Tommy Boy, like into the car, and she is not wearing her seatbelt, driving at night in a, like, icy road, driving at night with no seatbelt, she goes off the road, hits a tree, and goes flying through the windshield. And just stands right, like, nearly stands right up. She's not even out. Yeah, uh, it's impossible to watch this scene 
especially in 1996, only a couple years removed from Tommy Boy, I would imagine, mm-hmm. with it, without thinking of that scene from Tommy Boy. I mean, I could dub the line, It's alive! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> over Pretty this, and, and it would fit perfectly. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a spectacular stunt, because she hits the deer, we get a animatronic or a puppet deer like flailing around on the, on the fucking hood of the car. He kicks the dude in the fucking head. Yeah. Um, splits his head open. Her head gets cut open by flying through the fucking windshield. Uh, and yeah, she goes flying ass over tea kettle into the snow. And like Kyle said, she basically like terminators her way back up to her feet. Dun, dun. Yeah. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> or just, oh. <laughs> yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She gets up and, and she's thoroughly fucked up. Like she has a nasty head wound. Um, and this is, you know, this is kind of grisly looking. Like she's, she hasn't said a word since she flew out the windshield. But we occasionally cut back to the car, and we see that the guy hasn't moved. Oh no, like he's he's out, and the car is on fire. <laughs> he burns alive. <laughs> yeah, it, it's kind of nasty when you it's think about it. It's, it's, re- it's really fucked up. Because uh, Santa, is meanwhile like melting in a car. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we do ne- we do not see him ever again. So he is most certainly burned alive in the scene. Um, but yeah, she gets up, and the deer also flew down the hill with her, and it's like kind of lazily flailing about uh, near this creek in the snow. And she like saunters up to it, and without saying a word, she grabs it by its its rantlers, as Rocky Balboa would call them, <laughs> and twists its Steven Seagal's its neck. Yeah. Dude, snaps his neck. She's like MacGruber with throat rips in this movie. Like, her neck break. Like, she's got, like, a tally on her arm like with a like, permanent marker. Like, neck break, neck break, neck break. She's breaking necks left and right in this movie. In a movie with a different tone, like, if they really leaned into the playful slash stupid, she does have a Sharpie on her. They sure. could have done that gag. That would have been but funny. they didn't. That would have been pretty it funny. It would have been funny. I would have chuckled to that because, yes, she does break a lot of necks in this movie, first of all, with you know a fucking deer so she mercy kills the deer and i guess this plants the seed in our minds our our viewers minds that oh uh she knows how to do that and she's seemingly very comfortable with it yeah um and then uh we we cut away to another new character who's only in the movie very briefly but um cyclops it's, we've had yeah we've had like three or four scenes and we've had three or four different character introductions so it's like i don't we still haven't quite found her footing just yet, but at least at least a deer got its neck snapped, <laughs> and at least Santa Claus is dead. So some stuff has happened, thankfully, in the first ten minutes. Um, but yeah, Cyclops. This is a, a tough looking guy. Bald. He's cue ball. He's a bald headed man in prison, and uh, he gets like solo TV privileges. Man, he must have like prestige status in that prison. I think he's like uh, Garland Green and Con Air, where it's like give the fucking crazy guy an hour of TV time and a couple of cigarettes, so he'll just shut up. Like I think he's one of the worst, probably, because yeah, this yeah. doesn't seem right. Yeah. Yeah, he is alone in a room smoking and watching television. Well, he's also, it looks like Arkham Asylum, basically, and he reacts to seeing Gina Davis. So there's a TV behind a cage, and he's just watching it, smoking a cigarette. And she just pops up at this, you know, waving her hand at this parade, and he fucking melts down like Batman is still alive after all this time. Like, he's just, God, impossible! And, uh, go ahead. 
Not not you mentioned the TV in the cage. This is basically the same television that Bane was having Bruce Wayne watch yeah. and at the at the pit. <laughs> um but yeah, also I'm glad you brought attention to the uh, the Arkham Asylum vibe of the prison cuz it's only in a couple of shots of the movie, but it is like dolled up to look like some sort of Transylvanian hellhole. Yeah. Um from parts unknown, but um, I just wanted to say that I think the movie that put Rennie Harlan on the map, um, I think it's a finished production. I think it's just straight up called Prison. And I've seen a few shots from it, and visually it's pretty cool looking. Um, so maybe this is like him giving himself a nod or yeah. something. Kissing his like own going penis, back. yes. Yeah. He's already done it once, man. <laughs> it's like in, inside of 10 minutes, so yeah. I wouldn't put it past him. Um but yeah, she like our our leading lady. She is in the hospital, and uh, her her dude with the hair like kisses her on the eyelid. Yeah. Have you ever done that, Kyle? Not on purpose. Yeah, neither have I. I mean, I've done the forehead, I've done the temple, I've certainly done the nose, but I've never done an eyelid. No, not that's a I. weird one. Yeah. It's like you, you, you dude, you should be you should consider yourself fortunate. She was out for that one. Yeah. Because <laughs> you would have got it. What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Uh, we get some uh, hospital dreaming as she's dream- is this is where she dreams with the mirror like it's i guess part of her subconscious is like leaking into her brain like you do other things you like to smoke like i don't smoke it's you know it's her other personality or whatever um but yeah she's in the hospital and then we get for no reason whatsoever because it doesn't come up at all I guess maybe for Sam Jackson to maybe sympathize with uh, Samantha, but we get him visiting his son for a minute, just giving him like a toy gun. Yeah, I could have done without this scene, to be yeah. honest. Did not um, need it. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't need this. Although I guess it does add an extra layer of dimension to him uh, that he has a strange relationship with his his family, and he he. It's important for him to do better i guess going forward likely he has a I guess, past yeah he's he's yeah. and and you know the first scene he's introduced to us in while it is kind of funny with you know again the hobo puking in the corner <laughs> um it's him doing an unseemly thing it's him doing a dishonest deed to get money mm-hmm. and then we also see that his his reasons for contacting sam uh gina davis are are not with the best of intentions in mind it's just to leech money off of her essentially uh, so I guess I guess it is important, but I don't know. It doesn't really go very yeah. far other than give us a reason to want to see him redeem himself, I guess. But I did want to say that that the the hospital dreaming, the the imagery there, I could have used more of, honestly, because um, because that's that's the Rennie Harlan, like that's that's more of the Rennie Harlan I would have liked to have seen in some of his other films, like Deep Blue Sea. Both you and I that's a very straightforward movie that doesn't have any sort of abstract dream like imagery in it so he can certainly make a film without that sort of stuff um but the man does know how to handle effects like i said one of his earliest biggest hits was a fucking nightmare in elm street movie um so i i could have used a bit more of that some more trippy shit basically um also you know uh hollywood logic uh head trauma causes amnesia and it Damn well cures it as well. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, basically Sam Jackson has a visit with his son on on the stoop. And uh, the kid's like, yeah, dad, that's great. You brought me a toy and whatnot. But uh, mom thinks anything you give me is probably pilfered goods. So uh, it's probably best you don't give it to me. (laughs) 
So it basically establishes that his wife isn't a big fan of his, and his son, while he loves him, uh, is somewhat estranged from him. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we head back to Sam's house, her big, giant fucking black Christmas house. <laughs> um, and uh, we're in the kitchen, and we get our... Uh, I think this was actually how the trailer of this movie opened. Yeah. If memory serves. Uh, is her it's, chopping. It's, it's pretty high up there. Um, I was really disappointed in the cock tease that is the saxophone in this movie. Because during this sequence, like she's like chopping the vegetables, and she's doing it really slow. And he's just like, you gotta hurry up with that carrot. And she's like... Ah, cut myself. You're gonna eat the blood, bitch. And then she just starts like chopping. I guess the the cut must have like got something loose because then she's just like just chopping through these carrots. Um, and she's like, "I'm a chef. I must have been a chef." Like she's having this revelation about uh, amnesia. But the saxophone is bumping so wonderfully when they're getting stuff out of the fridge. Did you pick up on it? I most certainly did, Kyle. And I want to say they took a look at the set. They saw that a child was in the room and that there was a chance for joy and wonderment. Mm-hmm. And again, 1996, TGIF was in full swing and stuff. It's I want to say this was them doing like a full house moment or something, like a tender moment in an otherwise brutal movie. Gotcha. <laughs> um, but yeah, it 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 ends as be as quickly as it begins. But yeah, her her chopping the carrots was definitely a trailer moment where it's like it's like she's from a sleepy town. She doesn't know who she is <laughs> and so on and so forth. But um she kinda spoils the mood by throwing a knife into a tomato which then gets lodged into a cabinet and her dude is just like Yeah. Like, <laughs> Chefs do that. Yeah, which is not a good line here, but when we call back to it, I appreciate mm-hmm. it. It doesn't. It the delivery here is not great, but the callback to it, I I think works. Yeah. Then we get uh, next scene is we get introduced uh, to a man uh, chained up. So we're like, well, obviously here's our villain, and our uh, main villain is played by Craig Bierko, whose main like I think his main acting direction was just smile, just keep smiling, Craig, because that's all he does is smile. It's one of his biggest assets as an actor. Like from, if you look at the construction of his face, he's got some big old chompers. Yeah. Um, and in Cinderella Man, he he put that to good use. He played Max Bear in that, and he's supposed to be kind of a, I don't know, a brutish a brutish clown, if that makes any sort of sense. Uh, only other thing I've seen him in was I don't remember Kyle. Maybe you know which scary movie that was. It's Scary Movie uh, Four, I believe. Thank you. Um, it was the one that is based on like War of the Worlds, basically. Um, and he plays the Tom Cruise character. And the one joke I remember from that fucking movie is that it's the solenoid. Um, <laughs> I still, I still drop that from time to time. Um, basically, they're they're making fun of a a plot element in a, a in the War of the Worlds, the Spielberg version, where uh, Tom Cruise is the only person in the city that has a working vehicle because mm-hmm. he fixes the he replaces the solenoid or something. It's the most bizarre, arcane little thing that should not make any sort of sense, but somehow it does. Um, but yeah, anytime car trouble comes up or anything, I'm a total doofus when it comes to cars. I don't know shit, but first thing that always comes out of my mouth is like, it's probably the solenoid. <laughs> Mine is the flux capacitor. Uh, uh, yeah, you, yeah, you got you got to get that taken care of, man. But yeah, uh, uh, yeah, Timothy is uh, the villain, and he gets a phone call in the middle of beating this guy. And it finds out that uh, Charlie is alive, uh, which is impossible, but that uh, Cyclops is broken out of prison. 
and like dude that looked like a pretty difficult prison to break out of so i don't know why he was so panicked about like oh no i have to break out of prison and go take care of this yeah i i that's one of those things it's like why did that hop happen off screen <laughs> like i could have used that movie <laughs> Good prison break oh yeah yeah that would have been cool but no I, I guess we only had that location for that day but uh, we do get some aaron sorkin style uh referential humor here where uh craig bierko drops uh, baywatch nights Oh yeah, uh, like he just name drops a a shitty television show from the '90s, which is oftentimes remembered as being shitty. Um, but then uh, we he stabs this fellow. By the way, uh, it's I could have used some bloodletting here, honestly, because he he just like steps into the guy with a a big goofy looking knife, like like a ornamental knife, like not a not a utility knife, just big gaudy shit. Um, that in a different movie somebody would point to and James Caan in Eraser would point to that and be like <laughs> it's like you hit you hit me with that dime store horse shit <laughs> like how fucking dare you James Caan in Eraser is a is a wonderful villain um, very very strange opponent for Arnold Schwarzenegger though because yeah. James Caan is a head shorter than him and in one instance is forced to go like toe to toe with Schwarzenegger and it just does not look right. I say he's a he's <laughs> a pretty much a foot shorter than him, yeah. Yeah, no, he he is a, he is a pit bull of a human being, but he's he's quite a bit smaller. Yeah. And I would presume older, but who knows. Uh, genetics are a hell of a thing. Um, but uh yeah, I could have used some bloodletting here, but our next scene is uh, Gina Davis taking her daughter out ice skating. And these scenes are always uncomfortable. I don't know why there were so many of these particular scenes in the 90s, but bad parenting was a thing in the 90s in movies. Um, This Boy's Life is probably one of the more prominent examples that comes to mind. But basically, she gives her daughter, like, the suck-it-up treatment. Yeah. Because she, like, the kid falls, and we later learn fractures her wrist and wants to go home, but then uh, Gina Davis slipping into her... Uh, true self or alter ego or whatever you want to call it uh, tells her like life is pain get over it it's like and you are going to skate all the way to the end of this lake without falling without fucking it up (laughs) otherwise we're not going home and thankfully we cut away from that scene very quickly but we do see in the next shots that uh that the daughter has a cast on so it's like wow you're a terrible parent and uh do you remember this uh, treehouse moment after after the fact? I literally have written down treehouse chatter. Yeah, I actually really like this scene. Really? Because like it's it's a good acting moment from Gina Davis. I'm not here for like... acting moments. I'm here for action, <laughs> Trevor. Why am I like I I tune out the acting moments like zoom. Oh, okay, we've got well, action going again. Well, until Brian Cox shows up, anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah. One but, of the uh, one of the I, greatest I, phone call like someone talking on the phone that i've seen in a movie it's just mwah. it's it's brilliant he, he has so much passion it's so good like it it's he cares does. so much <laughs> it's so good <laughs> yeah um but yeah gina davis in this uh treehouse actually she has a good moment here where she's basically she gets all teary-eyed like she can't remember what she said to the girl all she knows is as a parent she really tr- well and truly fucked up and the dude with the hair is trying to console her. Um, and at one point she has like a, a shift more to her dark side when he like reaches out to her and he's like, I'm not, 
I'm not gonna hurt you. And she's like, mm, it's not, not, <laughs> not, not me. I'm worried about. Um, and the way she's lit here is. Uh, one thing I noticed about the lighting here is that a lot of the indoor shots are overlit, um, but thankfully this is a more atmospheric uh, shading here that, that works quite a bit better. But um, there's a good bit of continuity, too, because they head back to the house and they hear carolers. And as she's walking through the house, she still has, like, tears in her eyes, which is a weird detail to, to key in on as something that needs to be there, but I'm glad it's there. Um, but... Do you remember why the carolers are there, Kyle? Yes, but the continuity was bad. It didn't make any sense <laughs> because she's sitting in the treehouse and she like they hear the car- hear the carolers, but then the carolers are out in front of her door. Like she hears them because they're close, and I thought they were outside her door. But then she answers the door like after a shower kind of thing. So was the carolers like down the down the street? It just it didn't make sense. She comes down from the treehouse and then goes in through the back door and towards the front. But, so she, but they don't. Not a, they don't show that though. It's just like it just happens. It seemed like there was. Yeah, they, they they cut to the carolers and then we see her walking through the house. But it looks like she's changed. Like she's not in the same clothes. Maybe I just didn't see the clothes that she had on because she she seemed more dressed down when she goes to answer the door. Ah, it, well, it seemed they, weird. They me. tried, Kyle, yeah. but they failed. <laughs> Way to go, buddy. Um. But yeah, anyway, these carolers are here being held up at gunpoint. Um, they're being held hostage in front of the house to serve as a, essentially a diversion or, or as a means to get the front door open and, and get the denizens in therein uh, caught off guard. Uh, so Baldy uh, from the prison uh, is the one holding up these carolers. And basically, as soon as the door opens, uh, he steps in and he starts wrecking people's shit. So Gina Davis walks up and she has like a, a plate of cookies that she's intending to hand over to the carolers and a baldy charges in and he has some sort of sci-fi horse shit gun <laughs> because 90s. Uh, so this is a shotgun. I want to say like a like a, a lever action type shotgun kind of akin to Arnold's from Terminator 2 because he reloads it using the same method for sure. Yeah. Um, but it has like... I think it's supposed to be a grenade launcher tube under it. A hundred percent, yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd never seen this before in cinema. It, it looks a little hokey. Yeah, but it is. you know, we get we get some property damage out of it though. And I did like that. Uh, the dude with the hair, when he gets hit with the butt of the shotgun, he takes a thunderous bump across the living room. Like he goes fucking flying. Well, so does Gina Davis, but she gets, uh, she uses the fridge as a fucking shield and he shoots the doors and it just not like poof, knocks her back up against the cabinets. Like it's pretty fun. This is pretty, pretty fun. Yeah. The funnest part of this is, uh, uh, did I take it from you? Did you want to take it? No, Kyle, okay. by all means. So Cyclops shoots a hole in the wall uh, and Gina Davis is like protecting the kid, so when the, she sees the hole, she takes the kid and just chucks her out this hole. And I'm like, what the fuck? Where is she throwing her? And she throws her from the house to the treehouse to safety. Well, to safety, quote unquote, I guess. Yeah, if you've ever seen a cartoon wherein a bartender has to throw a person out, yeah, th- this is the motion Zip. that she does. Yeah. Like from from the one hand on the scruff, one hand on the belt buckle. Hey! Yeah. <laughs> out the out hole here. in the stairwell. Yeah, <laughs> out the hole in the stairwell and directly across to the neighboring treehouse, which just happens to line up perfectly uh, in terms of height. Dude, <laughs> it's very convenient. Dude, she takes some fucking hits in this movie. Uh, 
she gets she gets into like fisticuffs with this guy in the kitchen, uh, and she does get a good, really good pie slap. Like it's a nice glass. It looked like a pretty good pie too. I think it was like a nice lemon meringue pie, uh, and she just fucking smashes it into this this dude's face. Um, and then I I was confused the way this was shot. I know she's breaking his neck, but it seemed weird how she was doing it. Uh, yeah, they don't sell it very well. Um, this this could have been done more intimately. I could have used a, a a juicier sound effect to to really hammer home the point that yes, his neck has been snapped. Like he is he is an ex person. <laughs> really, that would have been useful. I really wish instead of the the line that she gives next, the uh, chefs do that. I wish she would have done the MacGruber one more, and I got a turkey. Gobble, gobble. Gobble, gobble. <laughs> oh, and then she does my least favorite thing in a movie, which is the blood lick. Yeah, uh, so the the neck break that Kyle's talking about, what, what we could have done with is a uh, like a camel clutch style like head pull. Like, yeah. like gra- cra- clasp around the forehead and pull back like yeah. while you're sitting on their spine or something. Uh, much like uh, what Steven Seagal does to the bad guy from The Mask in Under Siege 2. Oh, um, Peter Green? Yeah. I'm, yeah, thank it, you. I, I didn't know his name off the top of my it's head. It's funny you mentioned that because he was literally who I had in mind to play Timothy, the Craig Bierko character. I'm like, ooh, Peter Green would have been really good. Like, just a sinister, like, bad guy. I was checking to see how tall he was, but uh, go ahead. Now you're using your now you're using your noggin. Yeah. That's that. That's probably what cost him the gig. Because Randy Hart was like, "No, he's too short." Too short. <laughs> Listen, you no, scare the my... fuck out of me, but you are too short. <laughs> <laughs> no, he he has uh, those Cillian Murphy eyes. Yeah. Where uh, he always looks like he's on the verge of crying, and it makes him very unsettling. Mm-hmm. Um, I I do like him as an actor. Um, and yeah, he totally would have been great. He's six two, and he's from New Jersey. God damn it! He he's local. God damn it! <laughs> like, My God, really? I mean, you have you have Morse in this movie, who is most certainly a local. Why couldn't we have gotten Green? Oh man, and the he, fuck, man! I think he's he's a, got the height. He's local. He's got them eyes. He's uh uh he, god damn. Um, he looks like I think he might be a smoker, and it looks like it's if he is, I think it's maybe taking a toll because now he's starting to look sinister, like. He looks even worse now, so come on, guys, get him, get him in some good stuff. Yeah, he's he's an asset. Put him to work. Um, but yeah, this is not the juiciest of neck breaks. Could have used a better sound, and it looked actually it looks like she, her hands like slipped off of him, like mm-hmm. she meant. Like it looks like she attempted to break his neck, but her fingers slipped off of the pie filling. Yeah, and it's like. Zip! That might <laughs> like have actually she dropped him. That might have actually, yeah, that might actually. I mean, that might have been what they were trying to do. There was like it slipped the first time, so she didn't break it all the way. So she went back down a second time and got him. Yeah, but this this needed to be a very savage neck break because it's a, it's a callback to what she did to the deer. It's her first official human kill in the movie. It it needed to be more impactful than it was, and it kind of sucks because the lead up to it was great. Like all the all the action in the house was great. I like that he slipped on the fucking Christmas candy, Home Alone mm-hmm. style. Yeah, that's good. The, uh, yeah, that's a good beat to do in a domestic setting like this. It, it gives it a chaotic atmosphere. The the fridge gag was great, and even the pie where it it the reason why it fucking lays him out is because the 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 tin is actually a glass tin. Yeah, like 
<laughs> that shatters on his face and yeah takes some effort to break that kind of shit but yeah anyway he's dead uh and the dude with the hair walks in just in time to see her licking her lips like kyle said he's not a big fan of that neither am i uh tasting blood is just unsanitary doesn't make you look cool makes you look like a savage um but i did like that we have a callback to the uh chefs do that line yeah. although delivered in a more sinister tone this time but uh surprise surprise samuel L. jackson just happens to be in the neighborhood <laughs> i'm not even going to comment on what this scene uh like i was watching i'm like that's not that how that would have played out but yeah sam jackson's just like walking up to the house and the cops are surrounded and he's like i'm he's like i'm not doing anything and uh the next scene this is really weird we get no explanation but we get uh uh Sam is going to be leaving with Mitch. That's Samuel L. Jackson's character. Mitch Hennessy, by the way. Uh, hopefully that's a fake last name, because if not, god damn it, Shane Black. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> also having him smoke Newports. Come on, dude. Were you reading a Playboy? Because that's exactly what Playboy ads were saying at the time. Um, but yeah, we, we get three important things here. Uh, yes, yeah, Sam is leaving, so she gives... Um, she's like, hey, here's a candle, little girl. Light, light a candle for me up in your room, okay? And then um, uh, here, here's this cast. I got this permanent marker here. I'm going to write down myself on my mobile number on uh, on this cast so you have it. And then, uh, oh, yeah, what else do I have? Uh, this bracelet. You see this bracelet? Uh, we'll put this nah, we'll put this on the teddy bear. Just just keep this bracelet with you so you've got something with me. Uh, goodbye, hair. And then she just takes off with Sam Jackson. <laughs> yeah. Matches. Key. Phone number. Yeah. Got it all. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, she hits the road. And do uh, we get the the shot of the White House here? Uh, I believe yes. We we head to the White House and we have a little chat with the president. I looked with o- El Presidente. Yeah, I looked over my shoulder. I'm just like, wait, did something happen? Sixteen <laughs> <laughs> like hundred Pennsylvania Avenue. I'm like, okay, I guess we're getting the the government's involved in this apparently. Uh, yeah, Mr. Bre- uh, Mr. President uh, G D Spradlin. Uh, I know this is the, he's been in a lot of stuff, but he has a funny bit in that Clifford movie with Martin Short and Charles Grodin. Uh, he plays, uh, his hopefully father-in-law one day, but yeah, uh, he basically is just like making a ham sandwich and he's talking to this guy. He's like, we got like a secret agent loose or some shit like that. Uh, did you catch the details of this conversation? Uh, basically this is... I want to say this. I don't. I don't know if precisely if this is always a thing in Shane Black movies, but he he really likes uh, corrupt government agencies and shadow organizations. Oh shit! This uh, pops dude, up. I love me some shadow organizations. Oh yeah, we all do. Oh yeah. Um, there's a reason it's a it's a well oiled trope, but um, yeah, that's basically what's going on here. Is we're introduced uh, to Perkins, uh, who will later serve as one of our chief antagonists, played by Patrick Malahide. Uh, who I didn't know his name until I looked it up just now, but he has such an unusual speaking voice that he stands out in any film he's in. Uh, he has a very interesting, sinister presence. Um, basically, he's the head of a government organization, like a spy network of sorts, uh, that the president is defunding because uh, mm-hmm. they're defunct in the in the post-Cold War era. Um and it just so happens that uh, Charlie, or Charlene Baltimore, as they call her here, a.k.a. Gina Davis, uh, has kind of popped up on the grid again. She was thought to be dead, or at least vanished up until this point. 
Um, so the government, which includes the president, uh, are concerned about loose ends. Uh, we learn here basically that Perkins's organization is being defunded, and the president just wants to wash his hands of all this horse shit, mm-hmm. uh, whatever shenanigans they're up to. But then we cut back to Gina Davis and Samuel Jackson on the road, and this this scene it, it goes almost nowhere. Basically, this is like it is a Shane Black movie, so I don't know if you had this on your checklist, but buddies, uh, it's always a duo. Like, One it's very seldom yeah. a. It's always a, a duo or, or a pair. It's never a singular hero we're, we're dealing with. One's a smoker and one is not. Uh, nice guys. Lethal weapon. Uh, God damn it. Kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Gay Perry doesn't smoke. <laughs> He's knee deep in pussy. Uh, he just loves the name. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, the word pussy uh, is definitely a Shane Black thing. God damn it, dude. There's a lot of them. There's gonna, a lot of them. Gonna, like, these, watching his movies is going to ruin, like, now that I know that he's the writer on it, I'm like, God damn it, I'm going to pick all of his things. Yeah, definitely the word pussy. You should, you should Google uh, Shane Black Bingo. I bet somebody's put together a grid. If they haven't, dibs. Uh, we've got that. That's. <laughs> I bet somebody has, but, you know, if they haven't, that's that's a million-dollar idea. The, this is just a weird car ride, just in general. Yeah, I, I think... I think what we have here is a case of Tarantinoism, because remember, this is 1996. There is a reason Samuel L. Jackson is in this movie. Yeah. Because you know, he got a strike while the iron's hot, and he was pretty. He was on fucking fire uh, in the mid to late 90s. Uh, he famously was was one of the most prolific actors, uh, I think, in like modern Hollywood history. Honestly, like he, his output was in- insane. Like, I think he had, like, seven movies in a year at one point or something. Easily, yeah. Yeah, it was nuts. But uh, what I'm getting at here is the style of dialogue here. Um, I call it coffee talk, where it's just, like, inane chit-chat that was made fashionable by very, very talented writers like Tarantino. And um, there was a lot of imitators. And, and of course, like, movies like Clerks and stuff were just, like, free-form bonkers dialogue relatable dialogue was a thing that was being worked into a lot of movies where it didn't necessarily need to be there and basically what we have here is the start of relevant conversation where basically we're we're talking about gina davis's case and like discovering more information about her past um and then samuel jackson sees a woman on the side of the road jogging swerves and then for the next five minutes we talk about that yeah instead instead of what was just brought up and i get it like he's trying to avoid answering her question because he doesn't want to admit that yeah i'm just trying to get your money and run basically uh but the amount of screen time dedicated to this inane chit chat is absurd yeah it's it's not even good chit chat no it's bad it's it's real bad it's not bad it's not as bad as like fucking rob zombie dialogue but it's pretty bad uh, yeah, and it just it eats up a lot of time. But thankfully, Kyle, mm-hmm. uh, we are spared of further car ride chit chat in the form of one Brian Cox making his debut in the film and just roaring onto the screen and saving the fucking day. Saving the Brian Cox himself, thespian and McDonald's spokesperson, Brian Cox. And Lafroig spokesperson as well, yes. Um, 
<laughs> Kyle, have you heard him do the ba 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 ba? Ba 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 ba. <laughs> yeah, I've heard it. Yes, yes. That's that's fucking him, man. That that succession show must be a lot more popular than I thought. That's because uh, that's the only explanation I have for why Brian Cox is trying to sell me fucking French fries. It's yeah, apparently it's a big deal. Uh, yeah, so they find this postcard with a dude's name on it, and she's got a phone, so she gives him a call. We're introduced to him watching TV with what I hope is his gra- I hope is his mother, but she's just got a dog. Like he yells at his mom, she's like, "That dog has been licking its ass for the better part of three hours. Would you please like? It's either." gone insane or it's never gonna get it like you just have to do something and she just looks at him quasi i want to get the fucking phone he gets the phone and she asks uh she asks him like i I was supposed to speak with you about uh property in massachusetts and uh, honestly folks if you can find this clip on youtube it is totally worth your time watching because i i know how he's doing it he's having a conversation like they're just shooting the scene and there's likely nobody talking on the other side but him talking on the phone acting, his the little bits of his face realizing what's happening. Oh, it's just mwah, wonderful. Yes, this this is acting. Acting! acting. Yes. <laughs> yes, this is acting masterclass. Yes. <laughs> As delivered by only an, an actor of the caliber of Brian Cox could do. Because yes, like I said, he fucking just roars onto the screen and saves all of us. Including the characters, um, yeah. he he bails us out for the next fifteen minutes. He reminds me um, a, a little bit of Gene Hackman in Enemy of the State, like kind of his thread. Like he just kind of a little bit, yeah. Comes in, saves them, gives them like just just rampant dialogue real quick, gives them the whole spiel. Um, but Gene Hackman has much more uh, much more to do in Enemy of the State. And that's what I was telling you before we started recording is that I think that would have made for a much better film. Is if Brian Cox became if we became a trio instead of just a duo. Oh, his death is like, for me, is a top five shocker. So I'm like, whoa, what? <laughs> How did you do that? Why no, did it, you it's do like, that? It's the disrespect. Well, <laughs> like, I think it might have been a bit much because like the two like Sam Jack like you can't let them you can't have too much you know what i mean like you can't have brian cox and samuel l jackson sharing the screen the whole time you can sam jackson's a duo kind of guy like give me one other person to work with and if it's gina davis's movie you can't have brian cox there as well they should have picked one or the other and nothing against the man but i think brian cox might have worked a little bit better for this i'm telling you that the dialogue that is written for him he, he fucking gets it yeah he just, he just he just gets it because every line he has in this movie is delivered with a plum he just he has that energy he's he's got the fucking wild eyes going and he occupies a very interesting space in the story where he's like the one fucking guy in the room who who knows yes. everything yes and he really sells that it's like you shut the fuck up you don't know anything you do better <laughs> and, it, and he really sells it yeah, it's kind of as like for writing a story, it's a good idea to have your one character like kind of in green rooms. Like we got this one character that's about to get us. Boom! Oh, he's shot in the head. Like he's out. Like this is our saving grace. Now we're right back to where we were. But the way the movie plays out, like the way this movie plays out, it's like you could have just kept him in and had him kind of like you know each step of the way. I personally would have liked to have seen him bicker with Samuel L. Jackson more. It would have been. I, <laughs> I think it could have worked. I think it could have worked. But 
I think it would have been difficult to pull off. Well, uh, this is this is an untimely reference, being as you're not there yet. So, folks at home, uh, you aren't aware of this, but Kyle has actually uh, started a endeavor for himself. Mm. He is set upon a course of watching all of the MCU films well, in order of release, starting with Iron Man. Yes. Yeah, so so all of the theatrical MCU films in order of release. Kyle uh, has not seen all of the MCU films. Mm-hmm. I I have, except for Black Widow, which is currently in theaters. Um, which but Kyle is tanking, has seen. By the way, I don't know if it's tanking, but it dropped heavily in the first week. That's not um, a good sign. Yeah, that's not a good sign. Yeah. But anyway, uh, point is, Kyle has of course seen Marvel movies. In fact, yeah. we've we've reviewed at least one of them. We've reviewed Endgame. Oh yeah, we did do it. Uh, yeah. So he has seen MCU movies, but yeah. he hasn't seen all of them. Uh, so he's taking advantage of that Disney Plus, and he's uh, have setting aside some time every now and again to watch one of these MCU movies. But anyway, the reason I call it an untimely reference is because you're not there yet. Uh, but Captain America Civil War, Cap 3, um, introduces a dynamic um, between uh, the Winter Soldier and the Falcon, who are two characters again you have not met I know. <laughs> because ca- ca- I know. You, you know them. I know Bucky, yeah. Okay, so Bucky and the Falcon. Mm. So um, the two of them, of course, recently had a, a Disney Plus show together. But mm. uh, the dynamic between the two of them, I think, actually would have worked really well in this because their relationship to, to Chris Evans as Captain America introduced in Civil War is that they're both so-called best friends of his ah. only difference is one knew him earlier than the other one that's fun. so they're kind of competing over who's like in better in better kind with him gotcha so so we have brian cox who knows her from the past and we have samuel jackson who knows her as she is now and you have the two of them butting heads over like oh, no i know her better it's like no i know her but then she shows up to do all the fucking fighting and stuff <laughs> yeah but I feel like it just would have taken away from her story if you had the two of them. But yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Like, I think it would have been good, but I think it just might have been a little bit difficult to pull off and still make it a movie about her. Because it's, it's already not a lot about her. Like, And no- actually, that is something I hadn't thought about. That, you know, remember, this is a husband and wife production. Mm-hmm. And the entire reason this and Cutthroat Island before it were made was to bolster her career, was to... Put, like pitch her as this type of leading lady so if brian cox is too good mm-hmm. in her leading role movie that's a bit of a problem because even if it ends up being good overall and you could have a situation where all the critics end up talking about is how fucking awesome brian cox is yeah. as opposed to how cool she was um, which doesn't do her any favors um, but anyway uh we have the most intense fucking phone call ever uh again if even if you don't watch the movie, maybe just look that up because if you want to see how to act into a phone, which as Kyle had said, likely has nothing coming through it, mm-hmm. this is what you've referenced. This is it. Um, but he arranges a meeting uh, between uh, the two parties at a uh, train station in in Joyzy, uh, and they, uh, she and uh, Samuel Jackson, they they shack up at like a motel mm. and uh, we're introduced to his quirk of da, 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 da. Uh, he he does that riff to himself and then says what he's doing uh, mm-hmm. he claims it's as a as a means to like remember what he has to do um i think he probably just does it because it makes him feel good like makes him feel like a tough guy or something yeah there's uh this is the other bad joke which is way worse 
where he's listening to the TV, and there's a guy on the TV saying, like, I don't need no cat, I got a girlfriend. And he goes, huh, pussy's pussy. And I'm like, wow, that is so bad. That's just absolutely terrible. His, the one, the assumption joke at the beginning of the movie is like, like it stopped me. I'm like, wait, that's a terrible joke. But I mean, it's it's on par with yeah. If you ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight, is what? You're asking me to think. Yeah. It's like you have a gun in my face. You can't ask me to think that hard. Like it's got to be quick and simple, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, direct. Yeah, Sam Jackson. They've got like neighboring rooms. Uh, Sam, uh, uh, Mitch is just uh, pounding some uh, vodka, uh, vodka sodas, and smoking, and he's doing his little his little na 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 na. And he starts talking to uh, Sam, and what is she doing here? I forget what she's doing something on the table there. So this was shown in the opening credits. Uh, she has a brief, like, goodnight call with her daughter. Um, spoiler alert, those, she doesn't keep up with those goodnight calls. <laughs> she kind of drops that pretty quick. But um, she's writing her name, uh, which was told to her by Brian Cox, her full true name. So Charlene uh, Samantha Baltimore, I think. Mm-hmm. Um She's writing her name out on yeah, a notepad, right. pro- probably in an attempt to like reclaim memories or something. Um, and she gets frustrated with both him and the exercise. Uh, and then she slams the door in his face, and we have a sequence that just kind of happens randomly. Like, yeah. like the, they're as good as they are about like planting props and stuff. This is a leap in logic that comes out of fucking nowhere. Yeah, it's a real A to D. Yeah, she just like opens up the suitcase, and she just like. She's just like takes stuff out of there. She takes books, but she seems like she's searching for something. Like she had the idea that there's something in the suitcase. Yeah, but in a better script, you have a reason for her to have that idea. Yeah. She, but instead, the way we do it here, she just slams the door, looks at her suitcase, and throws everything out of it, and then discovers a secret compartment that houses a disassembled rifle. Yeah, and she. Okay. I I love <laughs> I love this scene because uh, we see she just like looks at it, freaks out, but then. They have just her torso. I'm not sure if it's... I doubt it's actually her doing this, but they have just this one fluid scene of this person putting together this gun, and then she, like, loads it, and, and I just immediately go, Dungeon Sergeant! Because I'm thinking of the uh, the shrimp sequence from Forrest Gump where he's just, like, putting the rifle together, and Bubba's talking, and he just finishes it, finishes putting the gun together real quick. Um, but, yeah, she, uh, she freaks out how how efficiently she puts this gun together. Yeah, to her credit, uh, she does do most of it herself. Does she? Like, oh, it's all yeah. It's it's all one seamless, like tilt up. Nice. Like, you, you like you don't see her face on camera the whole time, but there's no cut that I detected. Uh, huh. There is a, a noticeable cut when she's ice skating, but uh, not here that I noticed. But yeah, she assembles the rifle and gives herself a look in the mirror, much like her dream. Uh, she kind of gives herself a stern looking at, uh, and you can tell she's unsettled by how easily that all came together like how fluid yeah. the process was um but she also has a big gaudy knife uh because apparently all assassins in mm-hmm. the universe of the long kiss good night have to carry big gaudy knives oh, um and kyle do you remember the conclusion of her little nightmare here yeah she has a nightmare she just like i don't know what uh does she slit her own throat in the mirror yeah herself yeah. like herself has like a different hairdo in the mirror it's all she's all bloody and then she like slits her throat in the mirror um, and then she wakes up and she's like, "Oh, it was all a dream." Except for the gun is on the uh, is on the bed, and 
this was pretty funny. Uh, I thought she was going to shoot him, but uh, do you want to <laughs> tell the folks what happens? <laughs> uh, Mitch comes running in because she's startled by her dream, like her hallucination. She screams, and he comes running in thinking he has to save her, and she picks up the rifle, the loaded mm-hmm. <laughs> rifle, and uh, she shoots the door frame, and he uh, he slides on the floor. Narrowly. Narrowly, avo- <laughs> narrowly avoiding having getting brained, essentially, with this yes. fucking sniper rifle. <laughs> but they take off real quick, and uh, he has some fucking words for her outside yeah. that I was very happy to hear him say, because, you know, fuckery like that really deserves a chewing out, and I don't care what your past is, lady, don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> that is not cool. But basically he tells her, like, as he's storming out of this motel with her to the car, um, that he has been to prison before and he is not going back. Yeah. Like, not it, for you, not for anyone. <laughs> not for you or anybody. Uh, yeah, and it's a good Sam Jackson delivery, too, because she's convinced, like, oh, he's not going back. Uh, <laughs> But I like this cop story that he has. So he used to be, a, like, seven years ago, he was a cop, and he had a partner who he, who fucking hated him. And his partner went out of town one weekend, and during that weekend, somebody got a tip that um, Sam was, like, stealing, uh, stealing something from his partner. And then they turns out that they found those bonds or found whatever I stole in my apartment. She's like, they framed you? He's like, no, I stole them. It's just <laughs> funny. And then he, I guess he went to prison for four years for that. Yeah, uh, I like I like the the joke at the end of that story cuz yeah. it's just a reminder that's like he's yeah. he's a redemption arc character. He the point is he's done wrong in the past and much like our main character, he's trying to atone for it. He's trying to do better going forward. Uh so I like that he's not being framed as a total innocent here. It's like, yeah, he he's fucked up in the past, yeah. but uh, he he has a mantra he repeats to himself a few times in the movie. Just do one thing right, mm-hmm. um, which does pay off, thankfully. But um, he has an opportunity to ditch her, uh, but instead he decides to stick around and help her out. Uh, so he drives her to the uh, train station to meet Brian Cox. Unfortunately, there's a little wrinkle in the plan in that she doesn't know what Brian Cox looks like because uh, she doesn't remember uh, so they get to the train station a little bit early, and uh, she bellies up to the bar, and uh, Craig Bierko orders her a drink. And the way this conversation plays out, it's understood that he knows who she is, but uh, he's testing to see if she remembers who he is. And he plays it off as like he's flirting with her, and he's supposed to be very charming and like affable here. Um, but he confirms very easily that, no, she has no fucking clue who I am. Uh, so she he signals uh, his goon squad to move in uh, with like a decoy Brian Cox, uh, someone who will pose as as the person she's rendezvousing with. Uh, and his goon squad moves in, and basically they have instructions to kill both her and Mitch, um, which triggers an action scene, which we've kind of needed for the past few minutes here. So I'm glad it's here. Uh, it's a pretty decent little scrap here it's a little shootout in a train station yeah there's a i had a austin powers moment where i i see the guy walking up and he starts pulling the gun and go assassin Uh, (laughs) and uh, she i do like the uh the bit here so before they go in sam jackson uh puts a gun into his i believe it's his right coat pocket and she's standing on his right so when this gun comes out 
she instinctively knows that he's got a gun in his right pocket and she just shoots him through the coat again shane blackism the dick gun in uh kiss kiss bang bang uh <laughs> i thought it was a gay thing uh <laughs> oh fuck that movie's great but yeah so yeah this set uh this sets off the uh the the, the chase here yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about the uh, the opening shot of of this action beat because the decoy Brian Cox comes up and he gives her a little nod and he has a, a Terminator Two style hidden gun. It's wrapped in newspaper, not a you know bouquet box. But uh, when he draws the gun, the camera like go, like ro- is framed at like a total lopsided angle. It's like it's a very eccentric choice. Um, and it, it's not even a Dutch. Like, it's just a bizarre, sharp angle. Uh, it does not look great. But uh, the squibs that go off on this man when uh, she uses Mitch's revolver, still in his jacket pocket, by the way, that's a really nice touch. Yeah. Like, like like we said, Shane Black, uh, he does know how to write a fucking script and stuff like that, having him sing, da-da-da-da-da, I'm going to put this gun in my right pocket. Like, stuff like that, it, it makes sense. You know, it, part of making sure that your script is tight is making sure that the decisions that our characters make make sense uh the sniper rifle bit didn't make any sense but at least we made up for it here um but the squibs that go off on the decoy brian cox are pretty tasty um as are all the like squibs placed in the environment when all the dudes with the submachine guns start running in and just spraying the fucking area (laughs) um some really cool pyrotechnic work in here uh it has a good energy to it we're running up the stairwell uh to escape and uh we have a bit here where they're kind of like stuck in a in like a second or third story hallway and the goon squad is chasing them and instead of pursuing them they just throw a grenade at them uh so the solution of course is to blow out the window the only possible escape route and jump out of it so we're like three stories up and there's like an icy lake down below and this was most certainly a trailer shot uh, as the two of them running down this this fiery hallway the explosion of the grenade and then jumping out the window and then her using the submachine gun to to like soften up the ice so they don't fucking break their legs <laughs> um it's a very good stunt uh it it's a i don't by any standard it's it's some good pyrotechnics some good high falls um, and also the choreography of it is pretty clever. Uh, Got to give props where they're due, man. Um, but thankfully, Brian Cox, Brian Cox once again roars onto the scene and literally saves our heroes by by hitting a man with a car. Yes, it's pretty nice. <laughs> it's boom. fantastic. Yeah, doesn't even think twice. Yeah, and the authority, the authoritative, get in, both of you, now! <laughs> it's like, whoa, I don't care. I don't even know who you are, but I'm getting in that car <laughs> because of the way that man said that. Yeah, he's confident. Um, but yeah, very confident. And uh, we get rapid-fire ex- exposition in this car ride. So our two heroes are now riding along with Brian Cox uh, with Sam in the back seat, Mitch in the front. <clears throat> and uh, Brian Cox is basically spelling it out to everybody in the car he's he's basically dumping the entire backstory of everything um but this arguably is like the best dialogue in the entire movie i would say like i mean it's coming from brian cox but uh we have another another bit of good shane black writing in the form of him mentioning his dick gun his dick gun yeah Uh, yeah, he he mentions it explicitly, and it and it pays off later on. It's one of those things that in a different film could have just been a 
a throwaway bit of dialogue just to be funny. Mm-hmm. But it's like, no, actually, it has utility in well, the script. Like, when it comes back, it's still kind of funny. Uh, when you when when you when you actually see it on the screen, it's kind of it's kind of funny. Um, but yeah, so he basically tells her like listen you're an assassin and sam jackson just starts laughing hysterically at the thought of this i'm like dude did you see how she just handled herself in there and she nearly shot you in the head uh, just because you opened the door like i'd be kind of believing it uh yeah no it's kind of strange that he's still not quite believing it just yet it takes him a uh, while to believe it yeah uh, an, an, an unreasonable amount of time to be honest um, oh. But we we do get out of the car and have a bit more exposition here. Basically, we learn that uh, she's a secret agent mm-hmm. and she used to work for Brian Cox. That's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Samuel Jackson gets a new wardrobe here, by oh, the way. Put a pin in this wardrobe because I have a joke for later. Uh, but yes, <laughs> I don't know where this war like where the, they didn't have these clothes with them. So Brian Cox had to have this these clothes with him. Correct. That's the only way this works. Yes, that that's what we're meant to understand. However, there is a difference in shape between these two men. Very much. Yeah. I don't think they could trade wardrobes, and I I don't think it would work out. No, because yeah, it the it makes no sense why he would wear this. But he is wearing, uh, unfortunately, he is wearing what a fat Albert uh, character would wear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no joke. He's got the hat, hat <laughs> and turtleneck got... with the jacket. Yeah. Yeah, got gaudy green jacket. He looks like he's going golfing. He looks um, like an informant in a black exploitation. Like he's like Huggy Bear. He's dressed almost like Huggy Bear. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, we have a we have a conflict here in the form of Mitch not not buying all all of, of what Brian Cox has to say here. Uh, so even though we do learn that Brian Cox actually has nothing but good intentions for these two. Uh, Mitch is suspicious to the point that he actually like attacks him, and they steal the two the of them. He and they steal his car, um, uh, and then we head we head off to the next uh, potential lead uh, to figure out Gina Davis's identity in the form of was it David Morse? Yes. So th- I was actually thinking, I'm like, this is actually really good casting because you this next scene you have Brian Cox who can play good or bad, and he's like. In the movie, he could play a person who's good, but who's actually bad. David Morse also can play good and can play bad. He can play that exact same person. So when you have this scene with the two of them together, I'm like, oh, you can really play. You could actually really play with this. Like, who's really telling the truth here? Um, but that's, unfortunately, that does not happen for very long. <laughs> yeah, uh, very good casting. And for, for the very limited amount of screen time that both of these actors have, they are well utilized because you're absolutely right. They, bo- they both have that skill set where David Morse can be the warmest, kindest man you've ever seen on film, but he can also be a scary Fucking terrifying. Yes. Like, yeah. You can get, yeah. he'll give you, uh, like, uh, the Green Mile, which he's great in. Like, he's, uh, strong, but like still a warm character. But then you get Disturbia, where he is a fucking serial murderer. <laughs> Yeah, I've always liked him. There was a show, like, I don't think it was very successful, called Hack, uh, that he was the star of back in the day. That um, My dad liked it because I think it took place, I don't remember if it was Philly or if it was just part of Pennsylvania, but he, he liked that part of it, and he was the headliner of it. But, um, yeah, we, we come to visit him on his like at his farm uh, in PA, 
and Sam has a whole lot to say about him uh, in terms of like details she knows about him as a person, mm-hmm. uh, which would suggest that uh, she's under the impression that she was engaged with him because that's what the postcard says. She apparently wrote a postcard saying like, <laughs> I am engaged to David Morse. <laughs> so she has this back and forth with Mitch uh, being like, yeah, I know all, all these really personal details about him. And, and the th- the letter says I'm engaged. Like I, I think I may have had like, some sort of relationship with this guy. So Mitch is forced to kind of entertain her idea that, you know, maybe they, maybe they're in good with each other. So they go for a walk. Meanwhile, Mitch is kind of standing guard with a Winchester doing a shit job of it this uh, is, because he gets, he, he gets ninja'd by uh, Brian Cox real quick. These are back to back. My favorite jokes. Like these are actually good because the first one, she's like, I know all about him. He does this, this and that. He sits when he pees and Sam Jackson cuts her off. They like, stop it. I'm getting a boner. <laughs> just, the, just the, it just flows perfectly, um, but yeah. But then next, he's just like, I hold like no 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 no. I got my gun in my waist. No 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 no. I got my Remington here, and he's like, because I'm a bad motherfucker. So uh, something that Shane Black or Rennie Harlan did, I'm not sure who it was uh, they did in this movie, was give callbacks to these two main characters' iconic films. Uh, one. Sam Jackson just a few years earlier said bad motherfucker. He he stops and basically says because I'm a bad motherfucker, which is what is obviously what his wallet says. But we get a we get a, a Thelma a Thelma reference at the end of the film. But yeah, two absolutely very on the nose uh, callbacks. Oh yeah, um, what was your second favorite joke back to back? He's saying I'm a bad motherfucker, and then immediately Brian Cox just, just right there with his <laughs> on his neck. Okay, well, one of my favorite jokes is more of a sight gag, but it's it's amplified by Brian Cox's delivery because he he's just a living legend. He's a treasure. Uh, we will all miss him when he's gone. Hopefully, that's a long In ways off. Years, but yeah, yeah. So he's holding a gun to Mitch, uh, who is subdued without a struggle whatsoever. But uh, Mitch's first reaction is like, "How the fuck did you find us? <laughs> like we're at a farmhouse in the middle of nowhere." And uh, it turns out Brian Cox absconded with some sort of notepad that Mitch had. Oh, yeah. He says, I found the address in your coat. <laughs> like, and and he, he has a prop that he holds up to show Mitch. And he says, Bet- between the address of a topless bar and and the picture of what looks like a man's penis. <laughs> He's like, it's a duck. He's like, it's a duck? <laughs> That's a duck, not a dick. <laughs> it does look like a dick, though. It, it does look like but both, com- yeah. But the... the the cherry on top is the angle like, like he yeah. has this problem he's like that's a duck not a dick and then before we cut ryan cox actually like so looks at check. it <laughs> he actually checks i'm sorry i forgot he about takes, there, i was he la- takes a second look i'm sorry i was laughing too hard the last two jokes i i'm like that was funny but yes it's just boom 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 right back to back yeah and this is the the back and forth that i really wish there was more of because this is where brian cox and mitch go back and forth and it's through Mitch explaining what is going on with David Morris that Brian Cox figures out that, oh, you fucking idiot. Like, all, all of what you're talking about was code talk. Engaged doesn't mean, like, betrothed. It means, like, getting ready to fucking assassinate. And all the details that she was rattling off are personal details that she would have to know in order to pursue and kill this man. Whoever, I guess whoever is in charge of casting for these films, like really nails like the dynamic, like Russell Crowe. Like if you looked at the the picture of 
Russell Crowe next to Ryan Gosling, and you're just like, how is that going to work? And then you watch the movie, like, oh, it works. Like, it, it works beautifully. Same with Val Kilmer and uh, Robert Downey Jr. It's like, that's it just works so well in that movie. And in here, you're right. Their chemistry is perfect for just, it could have just been a, a hilarious ride the whole way through, but we're just removed. We just, we just don't get it. So I wonder if he writes these with, like, an actor in mind or whoever's in charge of casting the films just, like, they get it. They know who can do this. Yeah, I'm curious, because remember, I, I made sure to point out that this came out after Cutthroat Island, which means Gina Davis and, and Rennie Harlan probably weren't on the best of terms. No. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, um, which is not good as, like, when you're trying to make a fucking film. Um, and also, as far as I know, the script was je- was created before the film as a concept was created mm. so the the script was purchased and then they probably you know twisted and turned it to to make it into what we eventually got which ended up being a vehicle for gina davis and one thing that we pointed out is that you know buddy movies that's that's generally what shane black seems to veer towards but um samuel L. jackson kind of dips in and out of the story um we get a lot more alone time with her to be perfectly honest um, and in terms of like carrying the load of the action component, it's it really leans heavy into her. So I wouldn't be surprised if like an earlier draft of the of the script maybe was more a traditional Shane Black affair. But you know, we got what we got, and what we got isn't horrible. So you know, whatever. Has Shane myths? Has Shane Black gotten his myths on Sam Rockwell? Because I feel like he could do some special stuff with Sam Rockwell. And oh, that's I, a very good question. He would be perfect for him. Perfect. Um, I want. I want to say they have worked together, but I can't recall. It just seems like a match made in heaven, right? to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. That's your guy. But yeah, I, really. I mean, for fuck's sake. <laughs> 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 no, I mean, say what you will about Iron Man 2. The Sam Rockwell and Robert Downey Jr. playing opposite each other? Yeah. Fucking mm-hmm. brilliant. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, get those two in a room together. I want to see more of that. Um, anyway, I. Uh, just in time uh, for our heroes to realize that David Morse is, in fact, a bad guy. He is a, his code name is Daedalus, by the way. Uh, apparently, he's like an arms dealer of sorts. And he was the last big bad that Gina Davis was supposed to assassinate before she kind of went off the grid. Um, a helicopter flies in with Craig Bierko in tow, mm. and all of our heroes are captured. And because it's a Shane Black movie... Uh, somebody has to get tortured. Uh, we actually get multiple torture sequences in this movie. Water torture. <laughs> yeah, and it's like ten minutes of water torture. It's it's a it's a lot yeah. to be honest. Uh, yeah, it's really like this is the longest longest feeling portion of the film because it's just like it takes forever. Uh, before I forget, have you seen Seven Psychopaths? I have. Okay, just making sure we don't have to spend any time on that. I just wanted to make sure. Um, yes, we do get the water torture. This was the second part where Rennie Harlan was jerking off uh, in the movies because we have uh, what is this thing called? Uh, it's a it's a water mill. Water mill. There you go. So we have her, and I guess it makes sense. Like she's like just splayed on this thing, like in Braveheart, just hands wrapped up above her head, and uh, this very elaborate torture. Honestly, dude, you could just dunk her in the cold water. She uh, she'd be dead, by the way, uh, during this scene. Like not from but, not breathing, but she'd have hypothermia by the end of this scene. 
oh yeah no like they they actually do a decent job of like have i mean her acting here like she really sells the pain and the agony of it but like they do a pretty good job with like the makeup and like making her appear frigid like like blue-lipped and all that stuff she's not shaking enough for me like i've i've fallen into like freezing cold water before like you can't control yourself like you are shaking but yeah she's not shaking at all <laughs> listen to liam neeson from batman begins rub your chest rub your chest <laughs> your arms your arms will take care of themselves well, shit i was like eight. apparently i was eight so i didn't have that that knowledge <laughs> No, apparently he was very embarrassed to learn that that line was entirely bullshit. Mm. <laughs> like some survivalist pointed out that like that's actually that's total bullshit. bullshit. Just it just sounds cool. <laughs> yeah. It does sound really cool actually. Coming from him, it sounds cool, but um but yeah, she gets multiple dunks here. Basically, they're just interrogating her because they need to know what she knows, what she remembers and who she told if anyone. The answer is nothing right now. She has told no one anything. She remembers nothing. Oh, but did you mention uh, that David he, Morse knocks her the fuck out, like just out of nowhere? Oh yeah, he 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 gives her just a fucking right cross on the jaw, bam, right to sleep. Yeah, just sorry, just one shot, just one shot out like a light. I he has done that before. <laughs> that is not something you get right the first time. <laughs> he, he reminds me of like an like an American Sean Bean. Like, did you hear that story about Sean Bean? Like, uh, he got into like a bar fight and like got stabbed and just like kept drinking and then went to the hospital later. Like, I feel like David Morris could be that kind of guy. Just like, well, this guy, you know, mouthed off to my buddy's wife. I just, you know, I clocked him. You know, it just. You know, <laughs> I, I could see him saying yeah, something like that. I would. I. I could totally believe that. I, I forget. I think he actually is from Pennsylvania. I, I think Pittsburgh or Philly, either one. Yeah, it's probably yeah. it's probably got some stories. Yeah. But uh, actually, the the story you had about Sean Bean, you could easily apply that to Kiefer Sutherland. Oh, and I would 100%. still believe that too. <laughs> All this, you know, that guy's got some fucking stories, man. I did. I did just rewatch Three Musketeers the other night. So. Oh, mm-hmm. wow, you mm-hmm. treated yourself. I'm happy to hear that, yeah. bud. Oh, and uh, by the way, <laughs> the scene where they're in the bar drinking, Keith or Sutherland's drinking by himself, I just noticed on this rewatch, he's polished off three bottles of wine behind him. There's three empty wine bottles behind him. And I was like, thinking back to his, you know, his history, I'm like, is that the character? Or was that just something that Kiefer was doing that they just kind of left on there and they didn't realize they did? <laughs> It's like the Starbucks cup in uh, Game of Thrones. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. like, it's like they, they just forgot to clean up that part of the set. How, how do you let that get through? My God. Uh, apparently, if you go back and rewatch it, it's gone now. Um, that's the era uh, we live in. Kyle. It's gone you can now. Do that. You can, yeah, I, th- I think they actually did digitally airbrush it out. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Three Musketeers, folks. Go back and listen to that episode. It's one of my favorites. Um but yeah, uh, it's through these multiple dunks that uh, because head head tra- trauma in any sense is how you get your memory back in movie logic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like smoking, it's through these multiple. It's like smoking more meth because you're tired from coming down from meth. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's through this torture that she reclaims her memories, and uh, we get this one shot that I'll I'll never forget because. I always thought it looked really fucking stupid in the sound effect. The, like the modulation they put on her voice makes her sound like a, a monster from Doom or something. Mm-hmm. So we get a flashback of her from her perspective reliving uh, her last night with her memory intact. And basically Craig Bierko and Baldy, the guy she killed earlier in the film, 
uh, captured her and were planning on throwing her off a cliff? Yeah. Uh, huh? Yeah. Birko is also like, hey, don't, you know, please don't rape her. Like, you're not going to want to do that. It's basically what he's telling him. Like, hey, just fucking kill her, dude. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Not in as many words, but that that is what he's saying, basically. Just p- please, for the love of God, just just don't. And I and I see I, I'm like, I see this guy's eyes. I'm like, oh, no, he's he's definitely going to try something. A hundred percent. I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's. He has her on this like really dramatic, like we're talking like meatloaf level dramatic yeah. over the top, <laughs> like cliffside. Um, and he's planning on like st- sticking some sort of like hypodermic in her abdomen, but she wakes up just in time to snatch it from him and stab it in his eye. Uh, so that's pretty cool. It's a callback to Die Hard 2, the icicle kill. Mm-hmm. Um, eye trauma, man. It's always a always a big hit with the kids. Yes. Um, but then she takes off running, and he takes a desert eagle and shoots her in the back of the head. So that's yeah. like a forty-four or a fifty caliber slug to the back of the dome. <laughs> and then she falls off a cliff, yeah, 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 and yeah, she's yeah. fine. Yeah, 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 yeah. So she gets. I mean, we'll say at best <laughs> it grazes her. That's still going to knock you out. Like, getting hit in the head with, like, just grazing is going to do some damage. Like, it's going to hurt. And then, and yeah, then the cliff. And then the cliff. <laughs> like, did she just, like, just just swim? Like, how, how did they find her? We don't know how they found her. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. It, it, it's some crazy moon logic. Uh, but, you know, it, it is what it is. But the shot that I was talking about, the goofy one, is that after this flashback ends, uh, when she's being pulled out of the water... Uh, we get this close-up of her, like, shrieking at David Morse. Mm-hmm. And it makes this, like, noise with an echo effect on it. And combined with her, like, like a frigid skin makeup with the, the bags under the eyes and, like, the blue lips, she, she just looks awful. Like, it just, I, I, I don't have any better words than just, it looks like shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, and even as a kid, this was, like, akin to me, in the theater during the opening of the first Space Jam. I forget how old I was. I was probably not that old, but I remember actually being deeply embarrassed by the opening of Space Jam. Really? <laughs> yeah. I you know, now I get in ro- ironic enjoyment out of the pump up like the pump up the jam like jo- jock jams type music. Like but the- in that moment I was like I can't be here right now. Are you out of your like, mind? That, it's like if any of the older kids see me here, they're gonna beat my ass. <laughs> that credit sequence as a kid was awesome. I don't know what you're talking about. I, I think I was exactly the wrong age or something. The rest of the movie I was fine. It was just during that opening credits, which they play the whole fucking song. Yeah, they do. That I was just like, oh my god, one of the eighth graders is gonna he's gonna see me and he's gonna pound me. Yeah. <laughs> like, you had a, if you yeah, you would have had it coming. Uh yeah, yeah, for sure. But anyway, yeah, she gets her memory back and uh she has a a few nasty words to say to David Morse, uh, and so he puts her back under. Craig Bierka was there, but he took off because he has something to attend to in the form of something called Operation Honeymoon. Um, and then the dick gun comes into play uh, <laughs> because uh, Brian Cox was killed off screen. Uh, we discover that much like Riggs is a girlfriend, the mm-hmm. sad African lady, uh, was drowned uh, prior uh, to the scene here. So She's underwater. She sees dead Brian Cox near her. And if you were paying attention during his tirade in the car, he has a dick gun. Yeah. <laughs> um, you just see her underwater, like, think, like, oh, yeah. And you just see the camera go to his groin. 
and you see her underwater like trying to undo the belt and like go over the pants <laughs> to get the gun. So I don't know if you've been following it, Kyle, but I've been trying my best to use more video clips to promote the show. Mm. I think I know what I have to do. Yeah. I need to gifficize her fondling <laughs> Brian Cox's yeah. boxer shorts underwater. I was like, wait, like I wonder if there's like an outtake where it wasn't a Brian Cox dummy, it was actually him and you just see him like 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 pushing his pelvis towards her <laughs> trying to They're just giving her a people's eyebrow like <laughs> <laughs> with the bubbles coming out <laughs> uh, but yeah she she <laughs> she secures the dick gun and uh, she comes up from the water and she shoots David Morse to death and then we get a really bizarre sequence where she saves Mitch. I like this. I, I thought it was kind of cool. I mean, it's very strange, yes, but I, I kind of like this bit. Yeah, he's like naked and shivering and like he's covered in blood. So he's had his ass kicked. Um, Not but that the lighting part, but here, yeah, the, like the lighting here, like how this. Yeah, the, the lighting, out. like it it's the only light being cast over Samuel L. Jackson's body is coming through like the floorboards above so he's apparently in like a basement or something and again remember Rennie Harlan some of his earliest biggest movies were technically horror movies so he when he's asked to do atmosphere he can do atmosphere he doesn't do it a whole lot in this movie but we do get some cool shit every now and again and this would be an instance of that but yeah apparently uh, Sam now Charlie uh, that's what she goes by that's her true name Charlene Charlie uh off screen just we only hear the chaos and like see flashes of like muzzle flashes up above um and she just kills everybody in this farmhouse and then saves mitch uh and then we get uh, a needle drop uh there's a lot of needle drops in the second half of this movie like mm-hmm. just a lot of musical montages um and this one's actually kind of neat because uh, it's basically just a, a montage of them i think in atlantic city uh shacking up at a hotel and it's her cleaning herself up and i guess bringing herself back to herself yeah so uh, we haven't really mentioned it but gina davis has big poofy brown hair normally um but for most of this movie for the second half anyway uh, her charlie identity has bleach blonde very very short hair um and really gaudy makeup oh it's the most (laughs) mascara that's ever been on somebody's eyes like it's insane it's quite a bit. Uh, it's a lot. <laughs> um, uh, but, um, but yeah, basically she takes a shower, she cleans up, and she dyes her hair. Yeah, I do. Like, uh, she's blonde. Uh, did you notice, uh, like, there's kind of atomic blonde similarities. Blonde, tall, uh, drinks vodka, smokes cigarettes. It's it's exactly atomic blonde. And assassin. Even some of the production design of this hotel room, to be honest. Hmm. Uh, there are some earlier scenes in Atomic Blonde that certainly have this kind of vibe to them. What are you doing? kind of a nod. Yeah. That might have been a little bit of a nod. Uh, maybe. I, I don't know how well regarded this movie is, but a lot of the people that worked on Atomic Blonde are like action stunt heavy people mm-hmm. like people that are immersed in well, that world. So I wouldn't be surprised if in the stunt community this movie has a like people have a very high opinion of it, but as like a, a narrative film, probably not no, so much. I'm thinking more like research, like atomic blonde is, you know, we're doing act, uh, female action heroes. So if you're going to look like, what are some other movies that have touched on it? This movie had to have come up at some point. Oh yeah. If you do a Google search of like tall blonde action, like or just, <laughs> you'll get, you'll get this movie and atomic you blonde. Get kill, kill bills. The first thing that's going to pop up. And then, yeah, this is going to pop up. 
Um, oh fuck! You might get barbed wire too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you might. Hey, 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 hey. Um, so yeah, Mitch. Is, That's not good, by the way. <laughs> yeah, um, I do like this. Uh, how we get the uh, the flash bandage rip, as I like to call it. Flash bandage. Oh yeah, uh, I think this was a trailer moment. Um, basically, he has a wound like over his ribs that uh, she notices his bandaging is seeping. So in order to uh, distract him of the pain of ripping the bandage off, she flashes him, and his his facial reaction is pretty priceless. He's just like, ooh! Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, she just yanks this bandage off like a bandage right off! Um, but yeah, we, we get to drinking. We do see that we have uh, a bit of an arsenal, which it's implied she recovered from the, the farmhouse, because remember, David Morse was like an arms dealer or something. And in fact, like, I think next to Craig Bierko's character was actually higher on the totem pole. But, um, yeah, she does a little drinking uh, trick that, I, again, I think was in the trailer. It's basically just, like, rolling a, a shot across your cheek or something. I, I, it's a stupid little thing that takes some dexterity to do. But um, this is where she's trying to resume, like, basically, like, pick up where she left off. So she calls Perkins, that shady government agent who had that uh, meeting with the president earlier, um, and says she wants to come in, and I think it's understood here that she she knows there's potential for like double crosses and whatnot. Um, but a thread that is kind of pounded into our heads at this point is that now that she's recovered herself, she's actually going to great lengths to straight up just bury uh, the Samantha personality, like just leave it all behind. Which uh, those goodnight calls to her kid—that's what I was talking about when I mentioned that she stops doing them. And Sam Samuel L. Jackson actually calls her out on that and yeah. says, like, hey, you know, you still have a life uh, back at a place that you used to call home. You should, you know, value that because, it, it, you know, it's time well spent. But um, at one point, she, she tries to hop into bed mm. with uh, Mitch. That's what he tells her um, to call her kid. He's like, yeah, she tries to get things going with him. He's like, no, no, surprisingly, uh, no. And then he's just like, nope, don't do that and call your kid. I think she storms out. Yeah, and I want to say, like, my uh, my bullshit detector says that this might be a reshoot. Basically, she just storms out, goes for a walk down the street, and some random dude hits on her and then draws a gun on her. Yeah, and then these are assassins. Like, it just then the assassins just come out of nowhere. Yeah, and it's kind of a funny scene because we get a, a Mexican standoff between Mitch, her, and this, this uh, I think, a headhunter, as she calls him. But it's just this incredibly brief shootout uh like three bad guys get shot down in an alley um but it's a total just cul-de-sac like it contributes nothing Nothing. to the movie it does absolutely nothing it's just like maybe a producer or somebody said hey we need an action beat here because if we're going by like the slasher movie timeline it's been 10 minutes and nobody's got dead yet Mm -hmm. um so it, it just feels very out of place but funny enough it it actually does have some decent dialogue um and the staging of the action is fine it's just it's too brief i've gone on and on and on about this on episodes previous but set pieces man like if you're gonna if you're trying to make a good action movie you gotta give me set pieces you gotta dedicate five seven ten minutes to just doing one fucking thing and just show me show me the steps in doing the thing um, but this movie has a bit of a problem when it comes to the staging of its action there, where it's, it's always too brief. 
Like what's there is good. Like we get some really, really good isolated like stunts, like car flips and like people flying out of windows and explosions and stuff. But it's not sustained. It's just like in fits and spurts, and it gets kind of frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, uh, we pile into a car and we have a comedic beat where uh, Mitch gets kicked out of the vehicle, mm-hmm. and uh, he just lays in the middle of the street and starts smoking, and he doesn't move an inch, and uh, he. J- it's understood that uh, Charlie's going to come back and pick him up, and she most certainly does. But I, I just like the image of Samuel Jackson just fr- being frustrated and just laying, staring up at the stars while smoking. <laughs> it just seems very appropriate, mostly because of his attire and just the fact that he's covered in like bruises and blood and stuff. It's just like, man, this is the only break this guy has had throughout this entire fucking movie. <laughs> so I don't, I don't hold it against him for not, not trying to haul, haul himself up um go ahead sir i was gonna say uh next we get the cash box plan yeah yeah so now uh charlie remembers that hey uh that key that i gave to my daughter remember those three things i gave to my daughter um that key that i gave to her actually oh, it gate it gains us entry to a shit ton of money uh enough to basically just flee the country and and be off the radar forever so that's her plan is to recover the key and get the money. Um, so she has to head home uh, to do that, though, uh, because I believe she tied it around her daughter's teddy bear's neck. Uh, so she and Sam Jackson, they head back to her, her big fucking black Christmas house. Um, and we get a, a beat where uh, it's a comedic beat where she encounters the, the husky kid from the Christmas party and uh, <laughs> catches him smoking. Just like she said, like, if I ever fucking catch you smoking, I'm gonna kill you. Um, it's pretty good. She uh, she takes a a lick of his cigarette and uh, he pisses his pants. Yeah. But she gives it back to him. She takes a drag of his cigarette and hands it back. And she's like, she's like, get the fuck out of here! Or I'm gonna shoot you in the head or something. He just pisses his <laughs> pants. He's like, you tell anyway, I'm kill you. <laughs> but it's it's pretty good. But um, she goes into her house and uh, nobody's home. So she starts rooting around and she does recover the key. Um, and she sees her daughter and the hair guy. Uh, hanging out at like a Christmas gathering at the church across the street. Uh, and then we get an all too brief action sequence. Like I said, this this is maybe two minutes of screen time where it's basically Mitch driving around. And then uh, I did say that Rennie Harlan's big on like gimmicky action. Uh, our gimmick for this scene is <laughs> Gina Davis puts on uh, ice skates and starts uh, ice skating across the lake to catch up to the cars. And uh, she shoots a bunch of people in the head. This lady is an expert at shooting people in the fucking forehead through windshields, by the way. I would imagine that's pretty difficult, but that seems to be like one of her trademark moves in this movie. Um, but yeah, we get some, we get a good uh, like car flip and stuff on the ice. It's pretty tasty. Some good squib work. Uh, but unfortunately, Craig Bierko, Timothy, uh, abducts her daughter. And uh, in, he straight up threatens to, to murder a kid. <laughs> in broad daylight. Like, he's in the middle of the church. And he has this, I guess, chloroform just face thing. Like, it just goes straight on. Just like, out. And he just looks up and there's a lady. He, he just, like, holds a knife to her. He's like, you can have... He's like, uh, shut up or you'll have two two and a quarter Like, two... kids I think I'm like that doesn't make any fucking sense are you going to kill the kid or not like you can either have three kids or two kids Shane Black that's twice in the same movie you're making me say what 
What? <laughs> you mean, in order for a threat to feel genuine, it has to be direct and specific. Yes. Um, if, if your threat is a riddle, that's not good. <laughs> threat specific, like, I'm going to kill one of your kids, or I'm going to kill a sixth of one. I'm like, that doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah, no, that, that you don't want to bring math into no. a threat. <laughs> it's like, I'm sorry. Direct and specific. I am going to stab you in the eye. So, okay, I know exact. I can imagine what that would be like. I don't want that. <laughs> so, Carry on, sir. <laughs> so now Gina Davis is upset. She's like, now we have to get my daughter back. And they and they hack a plan. They hold up a, an operator. Like, who who are they holding up here? It's like a switchboard or yeah. something. It's the phone. It's the phone company. So hey, remember Black Christmas? The phone tracing yeah. scene. I thought that was awesome, yeah. by the way. <laughs> like, I I never actually knew what that process looked like back in the day, but, man, that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, basically, Craig Bierko calls her on her cellular phone, which he has the number to because, remember, she wrote it on her daughter's cast. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, hey, I need you to head to this motel uh, because I'm going to call the phone there. Uh, so this is him trying to place her exactly where he wants her. Um so he says, you have 15 minutes to get to this location. Uh, but they decide to hack that by instead heading to the phone company uh, and running a patch so the call gets routed to the phone company instead so they don't end up going where he wants them to. It's kind of a roundabout way to go about things, but whatever. Point is, we learned that Niagara Falls is the location where shit's going down. That's where Operation Honeymoon is going down. Um, they are the most conspicuous pair uh, I wish they had like kind of cops on their trail as well, because the, they're holding up this place, and then the cops are obviously going to come because they're going to report it. Like, who was it? Uh, a six foot blonde lady with all the mascara in the world, and a black guy dressed up like a Fat Albert character. Like, it's going to be pretty easy to find these two. Actually, that is kind of a curious omission from this movie. I mean, in a Shane Black movie, I'm used to a lot of. Not just our our main pair, but oftentimes there's a lot of fun characters bopping around too. Mm-hmm. Like like Riggs and Murtaugh have the entire LAPD with them too. Like yeah. they're not constant presences, but they're they're all fun characters in their own right. Well, Mr. Frying Pan like, and Mr. Mustard from Get Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Yeah, no, there's usually we usually have a very colorful cast of characters surrounding our heroes in addition to our heroes. So it is kind of curious that we don't have like, you know, as much property damage as these people are are causing. You would expect like a local sheriff or somebody to be on their tail or something. Yeah. Um, Somebody to call them a bitch at the end. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) but it's okay. We have Craig Bierko for that. (laughs) We have a lot of bitches at the end of this movie, like a ton. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, a um, lot of bitches. So, where, how does the gasoline come? I must have skipped my notes here. Like, I have kerosene as the next thing. Okay, well, uh, basically, uh, Craig Bierko has uh, Charlie's daughter, um, and it just so happens that they have the daughter somewhere in Niagara Falls at like this government facility. Which, by the way, Perkins and Timothy are working together. So, as it so happens, our rogue government agent is working for the quote-unquote bad guys or working with the quote-unquote bad guys um so they have something they're trying to do called operation honeymoon which is not explained to us just yet um but it involves a tanker truck which has been brought up a few times here and there uh so we have a situation where gina davis has to infiltrate this 
military base, essentially. Uh, she murders a bunch of people. We get another, not a neck break, but she does stab a dude in the throat, and it makes a wonderful gurgling noise. Nice. Uh, it is it is very clippable. Uh, it's, it's a little over the top. Um, but Sam Jackson is supposed to be her cover, uh, but Craig Bierko captures him. Obviously. And she, yeah, it, like without a struggle. It's actually shockingly similar to Die Hard with a Vengeance. Um, like on the on the boat at the end. Oh, well, that makes more sense. This is just like he's in the woods and it's like really dark in the woods and just immediately they find him like without even trying. Yeah, choose apple. Forgot to take the safety off. Uh, it was a hard boiled <laughs> egg. Hard boiled egg. Thank you. Ugh. Um, yeah, it's great. Great scene. Great scene. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, a whole bunch of guards are instructed explicitly to take charlie alive which of course causes them to open fire on her and her daughter <laughs> no it literally we need a scene with like like scott and uh and dr evil like dude i will go to my room and get a gun boom we'll kill both of them like they have so many opportunities to kill her uh it's it's like unjustifiable in yeah. this one like it's it's especially bad in this one. Yeah. Like it, it, it gets like Looney Tunes goofy here, because um, they have so many opportunities. So many opportunities. So many. This is the um, second time they have her tied up. Yes, yes. Like it, it's it's egregious. It's it's awful yeah. to be honest, but um, it, it's silly. That's what it is. There's kerosene, and we we learn like I guess they like fall down to a basement. Like hey, I could set the whole thing on fire. Or whatever. We got you tied up. But there's a scene here where we find out like. Oh, you got fired because of budget cuts, and Sam J- and uh, Sam Jackson character's like, "This is all about budget cuts," and I honestly <laughs> think that he they were filming, and he didn't know about this. Like this was in the script, and he didn't know about it. And this is him as the actor. I'm like, "Are you fucking kidding me? This is what this has been all about." <laughs> like to keep that, he's got a lot of intensity. <laughs> this guy's gonna be a star. I'm yeah. telling you. Yeah, that that was the good take. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, basically, uh, I want to say this is a recurring theme in Shane Black's scripts. It's, you know, it's government corruption or shadow organizations. Basically, Perkins had his spy network. Uh, we did learn earlier in the film that they were being defunded. Uh, so basically, he's running a buzzword false flag operation uh, wherein they will cause a a faux like a phony terrorist event uh terrorist attack uh in order to secure additional budget uh okay. for his agency so basically he's he's trying to get more uncle sam's money by killing a bunch of american civilians uh via a tanker truck explosion um and yeah uh, none of our heroes are especially proud to hear that uh the only significance of her being in the basement by the way was that we get like 10 15 seconds of her shooting the walls um I don't know why they. <laughs> I don't know why they needed that, but um, the significance comes in the form of her daughter, who she has rescued at this point, um, having a doll that was given to her by Perkins, by the way. Um, and the visual language of the edits here tell us that, hmm, kerosene is leaking. Hmm, I have a doll. Hmm, what do we do with that? Well, we put kerosene in the doll. Uh, so basically, she's being put in a freezer. Uh, so this is the second time she's being tortured and apprehended. Uh, also involving cold, by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of weird. Um, but she's being put in there with her daughter who has a doll with kerosene in it. Um, 
But the other part of the plan was that they have a, a, a dead frozen Arab man in this freezer that they plan on putting in the driver's seat of the truck. Um, this is comic book level stupid, but um, yeah, uh, we have a, a one-on-one here, like a, a face-to-face confrontation between her and Craig Bierko. And this is where it is revealed that uh, Craig Bierko is the uh, her daughter's uh, dad, basically. Like he was the one that impregnated her. Um, and the way she phrases it is uh, like, look at her eyes, they're yours. Um, and uh, I, I think we get the first of like the 30 bitches that Craig Bierko has to let out in the final act of this movie. There's, yeah, I mean, but he's given a lot of bitches, and then Sam Jackson's even like, that sexy bitch. Like, he even throws a bitch in there. He calls her Foxy yeah, at one that, point. I think he calls her a Foxy that bitch. That Foxy bitch, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of bitches in this movie. Yeah. But he, he calls his daughter a bitch. Yeah. Like, what? I, I don't think you can use that word against children. It just doesn't sound right, honestly. Um, uh, when they're two. When they're two, you can definitely call them a bitch, because, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, terrible twos. I had a buddy of mine. His his daughter was in her terrible twos, and she was, like, in the other room. He just looked at me and said, like, she's such a bitch. <laughs> such a bitch. <laughs> she's such a bitch. <laughs> it was fun. I mean, it, was, it was supposed to be funny, yeah. No, that's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, hated a baby? Yeah. What the fuck? Um. But yeah, uh, this revelation does not sway him at all. Like he is, he is a sh- he is a total shit heel in this movie. And to his credit, he does have a very punchable face. Um, and that's real. Like Kyle said, he's just here to smile. Just smiling. <laughs> yep, he's just here to smile and be an asshole. And he does he does both of those things. So he can't ask for much more. But anyway, he shuts them in this freezer, and uh, immediately Charlie has a plan. Uh, so she's gonna like carve out a little divot in the floor under the door and uh, use her daughter's retainer to she doesn't need the retainer it's just it's just extra baggage but whatever she basically she pours the kerosene into the divot she hammered into the floor um and then she gets frustrated because she's trying to light it with like with the spark that she makes with her crowbar but oh my god the daughter has the handy dandy matches that she put in her cast and so the daughter's like, hey, like, uh, lighten up, Mom. It's not a big deal. You shouldn't cry over, you know, not being able to make the floor spark because I have matches. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, uh, in the meantime, uh, Samuel Jackson is being threatened and interrogated by Craig Birko. He's tied to a chair. He has a knife thrown between his legs, not into his nuts, but very, very near. Uh, we get a trailer line in the form of, hey, should we get a puppy? Uh, and Charlie lights the kerosene and i guess she gets lucky because mm-hmm. it it flows under the door and out to some kerosene barrels nearby which causes a gigantic explosion that i love the shot of samuel jackson going flying out the window mm-hmm. it always makes me laugh he goes twice. it's kind of like yeah uh, it's almost like uh, uh yeah it's on par with uh, John Travolta getting hit by the nuclear missile at the end of Broken Arrow. Um, oh, I don't remember that movie. You... I've seen it, but I don't oh. remember it. Oh my god, Kyle, that shot is fucking hilarious. <laughs> it's John Travolta. It's a dummy. It's a dummy John Travolta mm-hmm. uh, being impaled by a nuclear missile and flying out the back of a train. It's mm. spectacular. <laughs> Uh, we may have to watch Broken Arrow someday. It's a John Woo movie. Oh. Um, but yeah, giant explosion. Uh, 
really awesome stunt where a dude goes flying out the hotel and into a tree. Um, and did you catch the bit where Samuel Jackson throws a knife at a dude? Uh, I'll be honest with you. I was folding laundry at this point because this takes <laughs> so long. Like this, this, this finishing sequence takes so long. I started folding laundry when they were like, she starts crying with the matches. I'm like, all right, I have to get some chores done. So <laughs> I'm like folding and watching, folding and watching. So no, I mustn't miss that. Okay, well, it's pretty awesome. It's uh, I forget which lethal weapon it was. It was two or three. But Danny Lover throws a he throws like an axe at somebody. Oh, I think it was three. Yeah, he throws it through. It hits the guy through the uh, plastic like it. No, 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 that's the nail gun. That's the nail gun. Yeah, that's the nail gun in two. But I think in three, he throws an axe at somebody. But I'll never forget the sound he makes. He goes like, oh, yeah. Yeah, he throws the axe but it's like the guy just comes around the corner and he instinctively just and it's perfect yeah that, that's exactly what samuel jackson does here nice. he, he goes he gets blown out of this hotel he falls into a tree he falls into the snow and he just instinctively grabs a knife and uh kurt rustles him nice. <laughs> like he, he yeah he, he he low pans him with this knife it's pretty spectacular it's all in the reflexes uh, <laughs> um Anyway, this kicks off our final action scene where basically our bad guys are uh, gearing up this tanker truck to head out uh, to a populated area so they can detonate and kill a whole bunch of civvies and get their funding. Uh, Budget cuts, man. Um, We get this cool little sequence that kind of reminded me of like every video game I've played in the past decade where uh, Charlie has to serve as like sniper support for Mitch, who very brazenly decides to like risk his life and limb to try to save her daughter because she's uh the daughter was told to go hide and of course dumb fucking kid uh goes and decides to hide in the explosive truck (laughs) um and it's this neat little sequence where it's basically charlie sniping for mitch and giving him directions as to where all the bad guys are coming from it's again all too brief uh but long story short a lot of bad guys get dead mitch gets shot in the leg and in the shoulder uh Apparently, he was supposed to die. I thought he uh, died. I have written down, Mitch dies. Yeah, uh, I, I looked this up. Um, apparently, there was an initial cut, not a released cut, but there was an early screening like for test audiences wherein Mitch died. Um, and nobody was happy about no, that. No, he's, so a- he's too affable. You can't, the Samuel L. Jackson yeah. as an actor is too affable. Well, and for fuck's sake, we saw his, his wife and kid and stuff, like, like, you can't give you you can't do that especially this late in the movie you know mm-hmm. um but yeah he's too likable you can't kill him but um meanwhile charlie uh thinking that mitch is dead uh she hijacks the truck and uh she takes the truck out of out of town and uh to the canadian border uh so we're on a big old bridge at the border and through shenanigans involving a faulty brake line, uh, she flips the truck. Uh, we get a pretty cool car crash where Craig, she like creams Craig Bierko's car. Uh, uh, it's I, pretty tasty. I think this might be the first on-screen uh, utterance of a woman saying, suck my dick. Uh, and I never thought I'd hear Gina Davis say that. Suck my she, I know. Dick. She she seems so nice. <laughs> but it, I... I don't know if it 100% works, but it just kind of does. It does. I mean, Be- Betty, uh, is it Betty White in uh, Lake Placid? Yeah, her saying, if this is this is where if I had a dick, I'd tell you to suck it. It's just, oh, that's great. It was such a good I mean, delivery. Part of the package is Gina Davis being covered in blood and bruises, too, mm-hmm. where it's just like, after this kind of day, 
it doesn't matter if it makes sense. It's like, I understand, lady. You've, you, it's been a rough one. <laughs> I, I always get a chuckle out of a lady saying, suck my dick. Cause it, I don't know why it's so funny to me, but it'll always get me. It just works. Yeah. I, I, I can't question it. You know, it, it, it just works. Um, but yeah, I I love the, the truck crashing through that wall when it flips. I, I think it's a miniature. Um, although certain shots of it are done with a live, like full scale truck prop, because they definitely there's shots of her climbing out of it as it's screeching across the pavement. But like when it crashes through that wall, I'm pretty sure it's just a really cool miniature, like a really well executed one at that. Mm. Um, but yeah, she crashes into Craig Birko, and we get some fisticuffs, uh, where she you know finally gets to punch that ever so punchable face. Um, so the two of them go at it a bit. Uh, we get some jokes about him having a small dick. Um, yeah. But she gets slashed across the torso uh, with his small dick knife. And we get some pretty bad blue screen of them like hanging over a chasm. And one of the ugliest shots in the entire movie is her knocking him off of this this like netting that they're hanging off of. This actually, this whole setup reminded me quite a bit of the elevator shaft sequence from Deep Blue Sea. If you remember that? Oh yeah, I mean yeah, I remember that. I remember how they made. I watched the how the uh, like the special features that they had on HBO, like of how they did that scene of like the the pieces of uh, fire falling down the down the thing. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember. I think I saw that same exact feature. Oh yeah, <laughs> or how LL Cool J heard is like that that injury he has on his eye was actually him doing that stunt. Yeah, yeah. I, I maintain that LL Cool J is unkillable. He is, like, yeah. He, he's not allowed to die in cinema. Um, actually, he did another movie with Rennie Harlan uh, in the 2000s called Mindhunters. Oh, that sounds um, bad. It, it's bad, but Kyle, Christian Slater, mm. his role in it, if you can if you can just see that part of the movie. I love Christian it's, Slater. It's, I'll watch it, yeah. I'll, I'll see if I can find that. Okay, well, anyway, LL Cool J... Uh, Spoiler alert, does not die in that movie because he's not allowed to die in movies. It's in his contract, I have to assume. But yeah, one of the ugliest shots in this entire movie is like just a really, really bad composite shot of Craig Bierko falling down this chasm and disappearing into a JPEG. Yeah, he like falls into like rushing water and he just kind of like bamfs out of existence. <laughs> For one, I'm like, well, Timmy's dead. I'm like, whoever falls <laughs> in that is dead. And I'm like, and that's how you kill him? Fuck off. I'm like, that's, that is not cool. Motherfucker's well, not dead. The, the hole he falls into is roughly the size of him. Yeah. It was, it's like a million, no, billion to one shot. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, he, like, like this. This is Death Star, like trench run le- levels of absurdity. Yeah. But no, the he's dead. He should be dead. In the movie. <laughs> but he comes. He pops up in like thirty seconds on the shore, waving down a helicopter. Like, hey, come pick me up. Yeah, and again, some of the blue screening on him coming up out of the water is also hideous. Um, this this movie has some strengths from a visual standpoint, and this this does not represent those. But. Anyway, uh, there's a helicopter nearby with with people shooting at Gina Davis down below. Uh, I love the bit where the one dude gets shot inside the helicopter, and he has a flare that he shoots inside the helicopter. It starts bouncing around, and it like lands in his lap and sets him on fire. Nice. And again, I want to say this movie is probably beloved, uh, like in the stunt world, because it does have some pretty cool shit. Because uh, this man catches fire, falls out of a helicopter, and gets tied up in some Christmas lights where he will continue to hang 
and turn into a skeleton, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> so he gets burnt to a crisp. Um, but meanwhile, uh, Charlie rescues her daughter from like a compartment in the truck and urges her to run away, uh, telling her that, hey, truck's going to blow. It's not safe for you to be here. And then she immediately collapses and basically like half dies. Um, but we get a callback to uh, her uh, ice skating with her daughter and giving her that tough love shit and the daughter basically parrots everything that was said to her all the nasty things she said to her when they're ice skating and, and like verbally commands her mother to come back to life she punched don't be a bitch she punched cri- yeah don't be a bitch uh <laughs> she punch cries her back to life i'm like this is the motivation you needed like seriously you were you've been super motivated this whole time since you found out she was kidnapped but now now is when you give up it's really weird. Yeah, it comes out of nowhere. Um, I, I, it needs to be here just to like reinforce the fact that you know she isn't abandoning her old life. She does genuinely love her daughter. It, it's a beat that needs to be here. What's weird though is that when she gets up, her line after that is "You're grounded." Yeah, it's um, pretty stupid. What, what I would have done, Kyle, and and this spur of the moment it's not genius writing or anything but like the line that comes to mind for me would be like who told you to talk like that or something mm. or something like that i would have just not had this scene <laughs> that's how i would have done it was just not have this scene well what i would have done and i guess we're at that part of this review is uh have craig Birko get punched in the face a lot more <laughs> like, I mean, like, like, just a lot. <laughs> um, so, like, she says something like, "Oh, four inches. You're gonna need more than that." It'd be funny if she cuts off his dick, and she was like, four inches is about right," and then just like throw it at his face or something. I mean, that would be a that would be a juicy fucking kill, mm-hmm. like for real, man. I mean, we're, <laughs> we're cutting off dicks this month. We might as well keep it going. I mean, yeah, why not? <laughs> I mean, the the way this character is built up to be such a shit heel. Any bad thing you do to him is justified. Yeah, he, he called his daughter a bitch. His <laughs> own daughter, yeah, and he's been trying to kill her this entire time. So yeah, you, this entire time. You, oh yeah, and by the way, the 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 threat he issued over the phone was if you don't if you don't come and give yourself up to me, I'm going to blind the kid and shoot out her knees. Yeah. That, what did I tell you, Kyle, about direct and specific? Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> that is a threat. Yeah. That's a real threat. That's a good one. Yeah. That is a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, but uh, instead, what we have here is a finale where Craig Bierko is now in a chopper with a machine gun. Very similar to the end of Die Hard with a Vengeance, by the way. Um, oh, yeah. 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 Um, but uh, Gina Davis hops on the radio in the truck. And again, this feels like out of left field because this character has never asked for help ever for anything. Uh, but now she's yelling on the radio, hey, I got a kid here. Somebody help me. And I guess the point is all the government agents that are on the other side of the bridge are actually working for the bad guys. So she's not getting help from anybody. But then we get a da-da-da-da-da. Mm-hmm. And we cut to the interior of the car that the dead Arab man was in. And Kyle, do you want to Dude, explain what happens here? I was actually shocked uh, when this happened. <laughs> like, shocked. Uh, yeah. Mitch isn't dead. I, like he's like Riggs at the end of *Lethal Weapon* too. I thought I like I thought he just got like thump 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 like just straight in the torso. But yeah, uh, Mitch Mitch makes his way back to uh, to save the day. Yeah, he explodes out of the back of this truck, driving at full speed in this car. 
Um, and he says a line that I told Kyle before we started recording. I, I have been known to yell over the mic when playing online video games. You can't kill me, motherfuckers! Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's pretty good. It's useful. But uh, he drives up to pick up uh, Charlie and, and her daughter. Uh, meanwhile, though, Craig Birko is still shooting at them. So Charlie, she draws his attention off of the car. And uh, I think this moment is actually largely why I liked this movie when i was a kid you don't say <laughs> yeah kyle uh, you know me so well <laughs> i was watching this i'm like well trevor's gonna want to talk about that because that is quite a chain of events right there yeah it's pretty cool like from a storyboarding it's standpoint it's what the movie was sold on like no, no 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 there's gonna be this awesome scene at the end and they're like well this is fucking genius like this is this is brilliant i, I think you're right because like i said all the other action beats in the movie are far too brief uh, for my liking, but this this sustained action on the bridge is all pretty cool. Like for for all of its faults, but this one moment, this this one kill, really, just oh. the 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 domino effect of everything that happens. It's like that is some the, good fucking action design. So the the budget allegedly for this film was sixty five million dollars. I just watched Hannibal. I'm picturing them like Barney at the beginning of that, showing Mason the mask, but they're like they explain this scene and they're like. How much do you want for it? Sixty-five million. <laughs> Cut a check for sixty-five million, because th- <laughs> this is the scene that sold it, and I think this is why I got so much money. Oh yeah, no, th- this is a lovely moment. Uh, if even if you don't watch the rest of the movie, maybe just watch this sequence. Uh, basically, Gina Davis runs up to the f- burning man that is being suspended from Christmas lights, uh, hanging like fifty feet above her. Uh, so she runs up to that, and she sees a cord nearby, and she's like, hmm, I know how physics work. I'm an assassin. Uh, so she cuts the wire, and she rides the cord, like the lighting cord, like 50 feet straight up into the air. And as she passes the burning man in midair, she grabs a submachine gun off of his belt and draws it up to fire at Craig Bierko, who, is, of course, is in a helicopter, you know, also suspended about 50 feet up off the air. So now she's, like, level with him, and the two of them have this John Woo-esque moment where they're both just, like, holding down the trigger and praying at each other. Um, and, yeah, she she her bullets land in his miss, and uh, poor Craig Bierko gets to eat, like, 20 squibs before he falls out of the helicopter Onto the tanker truck, which, by the way, is like five seconds away from exploding. Mm-hmm. Um, he lands with a nasty thump. He is not fully dead, though, because it's a 90s action movie, and you got to kill your bad guy like five times. Uh, case in point, Goldeneye. MacGruber. Uh, Sean, Be- Sean Bean did not die from that fall. He had to have the, he had to have the dish fall on him before he actually died. Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got to double kill that dude. Um but yeah, and she, uh, her, I think her line here, her action heroine line is, die screaming, motherfucker. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, it's okay. It's, it's not fine. quite suck my dick. It's not quite now, suck my this dick. this is but... where you put the suck my dick. This would be iconic if she was to say that. Yeah. Suck yeah. my dick. Suck my dick. dick. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I, I agree. Missed opportunity. But, but yeah, we get a uh, maybe a nod to police story in the form of her... Uh, doing like a fireman slide down the christmas lights with all the like all the bulbs popping and stuff not not nearly as dangerous or death-defying or awesome looking as as jackie chan's amazing stunt from police story but probably a nod in some fashion um but meanwhile we still have a ticking clock in the form of this tanker bomb about to go off so we all pile into the car 
and Samuel Jackson does a shitty job of driving. And I, I love that we actually have a shot of him like looking kind of half apologetically at everybody. Like, I'm really fucked up. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, but we cut back to Craig Bierko like convulsing, like very near death, uh, just in time for the timer to go off. And good fucking Lord, Kyle, this explosion. <laughs> Yeah, it's a pre- this this explosion is the stuff of legend. It's pretty big. <laughs> it's pretty fucking big, and a helicopter gets swallowed up by it too. It's pretty. It's pretty fucking big. Um, like I said, gasoline explosions, big, fiery balls were were all the rage in the nineties. We were bombarded with them in every movie, and it seemed like they were always trying to set the by set the bar higher and higher and higher. And I seem to recall this this singular moment in this film uh, being a huge part of its promotion. It's just a, a car driving away from the biggest fucking fireball we can imagine. And it's, it's wonderful. It, it puts a big stupid smile on my face because I, I remember when it, it, it wasn't a movie unless you had one of these moments in it. Well, in the 90s, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I do also like the extra detail of a uh, after the explosion, a whole bunch of cars raining down from the sky, and the daughter, like, <laughs> the daughter says, look out for the cars! And we just get this one shot of Samuel Jackson shooting her a look, like, I mean, in the words of the man himself, probably, bitch, please. Yeah. <laughs> like, 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 you do not need shut to tell up. me twice. Yeah. <laughs> shut up! <laughs> or just a, a Han Solo finger. Just, <laughs> just finger walk away uh, but yeah long story short they survived the explosion um and charlie reminds us all that hey we survived the explosion and by the way i still got that key which still has all that money in it uh so mitch you were very good to me so i'm going to be good to you and uh, apparently she says we are rich so i would imagine he got a chunk of this and she also does him a favor uh, at the very end of the movie but Kyle, was this the uh, Thelma and Louise explicit on the nose reference you mentioned? Yeah, I don't think it could be anymore uh, on the nose. <laughs> She's literally like driving with sunglasses and like the thing around her head and a convertible, and we see the money. And uh, I don't know if she's she's talking to like I think the president on the phone. She's like, "Yeah, no, I don't want to come back to work for you. I'm I'm leaving. Like I'm on vacation. Oh, and I need you to do me a favor." But it looks like she's just, I was like, damn, she was just like, screw that kid and that guy with the hair. I'm just, I'm out. I'm like, cool. Okay. Uh, That's kind of a neat way to end it. But yeah, we see, we get Larry King, the skinny, or like the fattest I've ever seen Larry King. As far as I've been alive, it's like Larry King was just a skeleton. Um, But yeah, and for some reason, uh, Sam Jackson is on Larry King Live. I don't even know what he's doing. It's kind of cute. Uh, Larry King mentions that we have a whole bunch of like super duper government agents uh, here to debrief us all on what what happened with that giant fucking explosion at the Canadian border, uh, and we also have this guy in a in like an argyle coat <laughs> named Mitch um, that's here to tell us about what happened, um, and yeah, basically she got him. Uh, she got the president to like single him out at a press conference and got him uh, a slot on Larry King as well as I would presume and quite he, a bit of money. It, and he tell- we do see that his family saw him on Larry King. And he tells some a really bad joke on Larry King, of course. Yeah. Uh, it, 
it's a bad joke, but I do like his dad laugh after it. Mm. It's one of those <laughs> kind of laughs where it's like, I know that was bad, but you know, it, I'm on TV. Fuck you. <laughs> uh, but our closing gag is a uh, Gina Davis and the hair guy is back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they're living on some sort of beautiful farm estate. And, uh, there's like a cicada or some sort of insect chirping and he's he's going on about like oh yeah i could sit out here forever like this is this is paradise and then she throws a knife into a tree stump and the chirping stops yeah and then they laugh and then credits yeah i could tell you right now dude that guy is not ready for charlie in bed because samantha was a totally different woman so he's just like i could stay out here forever like it's not sundown yet dude you have no idea what's happening she's going to fuck the life out of you <laughs> Charlie is yeah, different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just, just I couldn't say it better. Just you are not prepared. You are not prepared, <laughs> dude. You're gonna need. A, you're gonna need a Gatorade and a snack. <laughs> yeah. So, like Sam makes love. Charlie shuts the door and says, "We're gonna need a new lamp." Seth Rogen. <laughs> no, in in the words of Seth Rogen, "Let us fuck. let us fuck." <laughs> And then tells him to suck her dick. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, yeah, that, that was the long kiss goodnight. The <laughs> yep, that was the long kiss goodnight from 1996, directed by Rennie Harlan and starring Gina Davis. I can't go out on a better note, so I'm just going to wrap it up there. Um, if you'd like to catch up on any of our other Catching Up on Cinema content, you can find all of that collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. We also have a couple of social media accounts in the form of an Instagram at Catching Up on Cinema, as well as a Twitter at Catching Cinema. So feel free to hit me up at either of those. Uh, and the podcast is available on pretty much any platform you can imagine, including Cephalopod. So fucking Google it. Google it. Uh, but that being said, thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Suck my dick. Yes, it's ladies night. And the feeling's right Oh yes, it's ladies' night Oh, what a, oh, what a night Oh yes, it's ladies' night And the feeling uh, A lot of people's girlfriends are in there <laughs> I'm gonna go pick a fight <laughs>